than a gaggle of geese. More fun than a room full of wombats. Able to reach huge audiences with a single broadcast. Listen, coming from that speaker, it's talk radio. It's an audio extravaganza. It's the Outdoor Journal. Yes, it's the Outdoor Journal radio show. Champion of equal rights for people who like to fish, hunt, camp, and otherwise play outside. Valiant, courageous fighter who fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the Canadian outdoors. And now... Another exciting episode in the adventures of Outdoor Journal Radio. Good day, everybody. Welcome to the program. Another wonderful Outdoor Journal Radio, the podcast. I will be your pilot today, as per usual. Uh, Angelo Viola next to me. Uh, my co-pilot, Mr. Peter Bowman. Boy, how does that feel having me as a co-pilot? Imagine Pretty being scary. a plane. There were by that... two of us at the helm. <laughs> yeah, damn! Get out! <laughs> Bales! Parachute! Now! <laughs> oh, God. Uh, great program today. A little bit different. Perhaps, but uh, a very interesting topic. We will we will get in depth here in a few moments. But uh, uh, suffice to say that it has to do with the consumption of fish, yeah. and uh, a lot of things led to this episode. Not the least of which is the internet. Apparently, everybody wants to know if they can consume uh, freshwater fish, in particular walleye, mm-hmm. sushi, sushi style. No. Yes. no I, I, I've never heard anybody ask me that, but personally, but on the internet, really, eh? It's a, it's a trending thing. It's trending right now. Wow. Can we consume walleye? Well, that's a good subject. So we'll get into that we're because gonna... you and I have an opinion on that. We've actually tried it. <laughs> exactly. Today, you know what I mean? so... and we'll give you what happened to us. Uh, but first, a little uh, housekeeping, Mr. Bowman. Yes, sir, buddy. Well, CWD, chronic wasting disease. I don't know a whole lot about this because I'm not a, a hunter and I don't, I, I eat venison when I can, but it's a, it's also called zombie deer disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently it's, it's devastating to the deer population. It can be devastating to the deer population. I remember what doing, do you know? I remember doing this story about 10 years ago uh, because the U S was just starting to talk about it it was rearing its ugly head and then mostly the northern states and so there was a fear uh from the canadian side that that this would somehow get across the border and start infecting some of our inevitably yeah and lo and behold here we are uh it has and those numbers were ridiculous in pennsylvania etc weren't they like because they have a huge deer population down there well now we have cases of it uh all around us yeah, uh, both Manitoba, Quebec, of course, Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, all have had cases of it, and uh, so far so good here in Ontario. But it's inevitable. It affects obviously. deer, moose, caribou, and elk. By the way, not just yeah. deer. And it's fatal, always fatal. So it's uh, something that I'm sure all of the wildlife authorities are going to keep an eye on here. A couple of interesting uh, notes uh, for those of you listening that are uh, hunting, um, and you consume uh, large quantities of any of these animals, especially venison, uh, <laughs> although there are no studies that prove conclusively that this uh, CWD disease can be transmitted through the consumption of infected animals into humans, there is a study that was uh, conducted in 2006, uh, and they uh, used macaws, the little monkeys, Pete. Remember, yep, yep. remember those things yep. we used to run across all the time? Um, anyways... Apparently, uh, those monkeys were fed uh, contaminated meat for a period of time. And yes, 
The answer is wow. yes, it was transmitted. So no although there's no proof that humans can actually get uh, a CWD, but uh, I would. So, and just to, for the hunters that are out there, maybe new hunters that are, are just getting into the game. Apparently, if you are, if you have a deer in your sights, and this deer is either stumbling, or really skinny, really looks like it's you know are confused, then that could be that they could be symptoms to CWD. So you gotta be careful. You, sh- you should really. I, I'm sure there's a way of getting it tested, right? Once you shoot your animal, down your animal. I'm, I'm assuming. That Apparently, uh, it's not that easy. Really? Yeah. Uh, from what I'm told, uh, it's not that easy to uh, get your animal tested. So I'm sure that now that that it's here, uh, things will change rapidly in terms of uh, facilities. You have to do that. Well, they, because, well, yeah. Because there's a huge population. Let's let's be honest. This is not catch and release fishing. Right. This is going out. You shoot that animal, you down it and you're going to eat it. It's dead. Right. And and the whole idea to it is you're not going to kill it just for target practice. You're going to kill it to consume it. And it's delicious. And it's delicious. I love venison. Yeah, it's so good. So uh, I guess, you know, uh, all we can say about it, we wanted to bring it to your attention. All we can say about it, I think uh, you owe it to yourself. Uh, to look into this and uh, get more information. We all need to be a little better informed on it for sure. But it is here. It's not something that, you know, we're we're worried about. It, it might go. It's no, here. No. Uh, it's all around us. So I'd be, I'd be surprised if it wasn't already here in Ontario. Yeah, so. it probably is. But there's so many, the, the population, the deer population, white town population yeah. is ridiculous yeah. around here, right? So anyways, uh, just thought we would throw that at you. Check it out. It's all over the internet. Uh, you can't miss it. And, uh, CWD, look it up. Chronic it's wasting really, disease. Quite, I just thought I was going to get that way if I was living in Napanee any longer. I had to move out of Napanee because I was getting chronically wasted a lot when I was doing that. <laughs> you had to move out of Napanee because the they, they asked you to move out of <laughs> You are carrying that disease. You are a problem with that disease, Bowman. Out. <laughs> so I just moved. Um, a story that we ran, um, I, I'm not sure how long ago, but it's yeah, there now. It's there long. now. Yeah. yeah it's just, uh, On fishingcanada.com. A fascinating read. If you haven't read it already, check it out. It's called Let Those Big Fish Swim. And uh, it's all about, uh, you know, as we go through our either selective harvesting or catch and release fishing or whatever it is that you're practicing out there, uh, we might want to um, uh, read an article like this because it'll be something that will inform you on what's right and what's wrong when it comes to that. And and to add to that whole thing, too, um, We'll talk about that in a second, but to add to that whole thing, too, is is also uh, mercury uh, has reared its ugly head once again in the headlines mm-hmm. uh, regarding contamination of it's fish. It's funny how both those, uh, the CWD now, the deer, and now the, the fish, thing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, we all, let's be honest, as I just said before, it's not catch and release fishing, but we all love egg. Ange and I, and I'm sure most anglers love a good feed of really nice fish. Like there's some people that hate fish, and that's they, they not that's, many they, anymore. Yeah, there's not many. But mm. uh, I mean, uh, from halibut to whatever. Well, I mean, of course, walleye and perch are my two favorites. And like, uh, I I have to have that sometime throughout the season. I just want to have that, and I desire to have that, and I have to have that in my mind. But you know what? When you when you look at this stuff, hey, somebody's phone's ringing, Ange. This is a podcast. Who gives a shit, right? Didn't that not hey. happen last week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know what I mean? Like, we we all like to have a feed of fish, but it's this is a great article to show you that the, the reason that Ange and I keep those smaller ones, those smaller fish, you know, like a 16 to 17-inch walleye is a perfect-sized fish to keep and eat. You know, and, and one walleye like that, 
if you're really hungry, one and a half of those would feed you. It's Normally, done. just one fish is. is if, I mean, if, if Angie and I went out and caught three of those walleye at 17 inches and cooked them up with potatoes and everything else, that is all you need. That's a lot of fish on a plate. And it the really importance there too. It's not just the amount of, that you're going to consume and, and waste if you don't consume it, but uh, as the article on uh, FishingCanada.com will 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 clearly uh, make this point, the smaller fish are the ones that are the least likely yeah. to be now and not in all cases. Cause somebody, uh, once I, I, I said this to somebody said, well, how about young fish? They're small. I mean, not all fish are born at uh, 20 pounds. Right. So, but what, uh, what it, what simply stated is the smaller fish, if they are of reproductive age, uh, their chances of reproducing successfully and in large numbers is, is slim compared to the big fish, especially in the case of walleye, where the big fish are generally female. Yeah. And uh, yeah. a big uh, uh, walleye, a mature female walleye, will will carry up to one hundred and fifty thousand uh, uh, eggs, compared to a smaller fish that might be carrying twenty five or fifty thousand eggs. So, you know what freaked me out in that article, uh, and I think Dean found this for us, is that the a male walleye rarely reaches over eighteen inches. I found that quite surprising. Yeah, I found that too. So, like a twenty two, twenty three, a two pounder, two and a half, three pounder. Most of those are females. Yeah. And we have to maybe look into that one more. It just surprised me. I thought, Are you oh. doubting uh, Mr. Taylor? No, I'm not. No, because I'm, I'm just I'm asking. I'm doubting the internet because uh. Dean is not a bio- fisheries biologist. He's right? not? So, he sounds so like he is. He, and he looks like he is yeah. too. Yeah. But and yeah. he wears that white gown and yeah, yeah, yeah. the test tubes walking around the office here. Yeah. However, yeah. Uh, the, the you know what the internet says, people, it just that one kind of surprising to me. So, you know, maybe that's going to be a good one for one of our guests coming up. Maybe he could be. Speaking of which, we haven't even mentioned who the guests are. That was very rude of me. Well, you know, I thought you were kind of just, you know, a little bit uh, slower this morning. <laughs> to you've, been our, two, you've been in two huge lineups for coffee this morning. <laughs> so, and, and, uh, two of, of our favorite people here at Fishing Canada will be joining us a little later on. And one that we haven't met before, but fascinating gentleman I had the pleasure of speaking to yesterday. Um, first, we'll be joined by Gordon, uh, Gordon the Man. Heiser, the fish doc from Outdoor Journal Radio and Fish in Canada fame. He'll be joining us here in a few minutes. And uh, our good friend, Antonio. You've seen him on, uh, by the way, uh, on uh, Fish Du Jour's on Fish in Canada. Uh, And he'll be joining us. Uh, He's our in-house food expert and chef extraordinaire. And chef to the stars, by the way. I've got, I know uh, I've heard from uh, both Jordan and uh, Dean. He's got an interesting story to share with us about uh, preparing fish for the stars. Excellent. So they'll be joining us here in a few minutes, but because uh, um, I missed that at the top of the show. That's all right. We, uh, they're going to have some insight on all this stuff, I'm sure, as we, you know, along with our regular subject. Getting back to the subject we were just talking about, yes. though, uh, the consumption of smaller fish, the other benefit to that is that if you are concerned about mercury levels, which a lot of people seem to be, mm-hmm. and justly so, uh, smaller fish have less time to spend in contaminated waters. And uh, quite simply, they'll yeah, they'll have less potential mercury levels in them than uh, bigger fish. A bigger fish is generally older, therefore it's spent more time in areas that might um, hold mercury. And, and mercury is not 
all caused by pollution. Of course not. Uh, and this article also says natural causes are a volcanic acti- activity, which I'm not too sure if we have a lot of that in our Canadian lakes, but you never know. Right? I mean, who knows? But more more uh, on our realm would be forest fires. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of ways that murk gets in the water. I, I think important to note that it's not just something that we put in inadvertently with 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 uh, sewage and, and, and chemicals that we pour into but the water. That does, but that uh, does. Burning of coal, yep. mining, smelting, pulp pulp and paper mills, et cetera, et cetera. That yep. all adds to you yep. know the possibility of mercury levels. So. Which means also that you don't have to be in an urban area to get mercury levels. In fact, some of the right. highest mercury levels have been have been uh, found in more remote parts of the country. There you go. There. There you go. All right. Bro. Look at us. Bro. Thank you. We sound like we're smart, kind of. We are. Sorta. We mean kind no, of, sort of. No, we don't. We're not smart. People know. Uh, people that do know us know we're dumb as stumps. We're like those two stumps that we throw a, a hula popper to to catch a largemouth bass. You're stump one. I'm stump two. By the way, I also missed an ad. Eh? Guys are waving at me behind the glass. They should be waving at me. This program brought to you by Princecraft Boats. Uh, dominate the waters. Princecraft. Did you know that? Gee, I, that was awesome. <laughs> that, was, that was friggin' excellent, bro. See, I uh, love this, this format here. Yeah. Oh, I forgot something. Let me just throw that in there now. Yeah. All right. Good. Okay. Let's get to the good shit now. What do you mean the good? What, what, do, we, what do we chop? Let me just sit. We you sounding... just announced two guys that are coming up. These guys are heroic in my mind, okay? And both in their own way. So, All right. Uh, as we said at the top of the program, this uh, episode uh, was spurred on by a number of things. Uh, number one, we did a we did a, a, a piece a couple of months ago that um, got some really good reviews, and it was on. A, we picked up on a story that kind of made it, you know, in uh, in our regular national media, but kind of not. It certainly didn't get the coverage that it should have received, and it was an interesting story because uh, simply stated. Nearly 50% of all of the fish products in this country were found to be mislabeled. Now, fish products mean everything from uh, the fish that you see at, uh, at your local grocery store, you know, sitting on, on that nice bed of ice, to uh, going to a restaurant and ordering your favorite seafood meal, um, to wholesalers going to their favorite uh, fishmonger and getting their products there. 50%. There were 400... Uh, locations tested across Canada and 47%, almost half of all of the samples <laughs> came insane. back, uh, miss, uh, we'll call it mislabeled because, but mislabeled is misleading because misla- yeah. Yeah, See, yeah. mislabeled Sounds to like me, a mistake, right? exactly. Mis- yeah, hey, Nick, oh, a mistake, oh, yeah. oh, sorry about yeah. that. Jeez, Just did, kidding. I, did I say that? Did I put the, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know how that happened. Okay. That would be my idea of mislabeled. Exactly. No, this was fraudulent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In my opinion, this was fraudulent. And let me tell you why, because some of the examples that were found during that study were things like sea bass, which, which you know, I love sea bass. Oh, yeah. That's buddy. my favorite food to prepare and consume when I'm not out uh, catching walleye and, and whatnot in the wilds. I love sea bass. Well, guess what? 50% of the samples of sea bass were actually Asian catfish. And I'm willing to bet anybody that the twenty six ninety five I pay per pound of Chilean sea bass is a hell of a lot more than what I can buy Asian catfish for. Oh yeah, oh, so it's fraud. Yeah. Make no mistake about it. It's not a mistake. Yeah, that's a, an easy buck for somebody, right? <laughs> Red snapper that you love, mm-hmm. it could be tilapia. Half the time, it's tilapia. 
How's that? Wow. Uh, what was the other interesting one? This one was good. A white tuna. Yes. Which, who doesn't love white tuna when they're having sushi? Let's right. be honest about it. Uh, 50% half of the time that you're consuming that beautiful little piece of white tuna on that rice and just enjoying it with a little bit of wasabi, well, guess what? You're eating some called Escolar. <laughs> Escolar. Oh, oh, oh. Now, not only is Escolar uh, sound kind of... He was a drug lord, wasn't he? Well, there's a him too. I never even thought of that. But uh, 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 this fish can actually uh, be uh, toxic. Oh, my God. In nature, and it can make you violently ill, which kind of explains some of the times, you know, you, you go with a group of people, have sushi and stuff, mm-hmm. and, and and one of them next day says, oh, up. my God, I just about died. Imagine. And they're going to just blame it on whatever, the bad restaurant or something like that. Meanwhile, it's the, right back to the Escalar. Oh, my God. Anyways, if you want to get the whole story, it's on fishingcanada.com. Um, it's, a, it's a great read and uh, some interesting facts and figures there. But that kind of got us all looking more and more into this whole consumption of seafood and, and fish in general. And then we found um, our crack research department. Uh, I think they're crack anyways. I think that we can contribute to the crack. We're not sure yet. Uh, Dean and and Jordan found uh, this uh, uh, interesting little piece of news, and that is that that on the internet right now, one of the hottest things going is people uh, wanting to know, can you consume freshwater fish raw or sushi style? Hmm. And so we started looking into it, and lo and behold, there's about a million different answers to that question. And we thought, why not bring everybody together on one program that can give us the definitive answer? Because, Mr. Bowman, you and I have already been down that road before. Correct. We have very very short trip down that road, but we have been down that road, right? And we'll talk about that here in a minute with our uh, first special guest today. Uh, you know him as the fish doc. Uh, we uh, we just call him the doc here around uh, Outdoor Journal. His name is Gord Pizer from Outdoor Canada Magazine. Hey, Gordon. How are you, buddy? I'm doing, I'm doing well, boys. I just, I unmuted you there. I was <laughs> listening in the whole time and I was enthralled and I forgot to hit the unmute button. <laughs> I, I do that all the time, buddy. All the time. Uh, uh, first things first, um, you know, uh, because Pete and I have talked to you about it before. We, Pete and I have had a uh, raw walleye. Uh, out in the we've field, tried. We haven't had. I wouldn't call it had because we didn't really. We eat sushi a whole bunch it up on it. The, not a whole bunch. We, it was a tiny fish. If you Correct. remember, it was it was tiny. very small. Per, and oh, yeah. uh, and we sliced it up real thin and 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 ate it right on the boat, uh, thinking nothing of it. To be quite honest with you, because the perception, as you know, Gord, is you're out in the middle of God's country, out in the middle of nowhere. What could possibly go wrong with consuming nature's bounty raw? And uh, we, when we got back, we talked to an uh, M&R buddy of ours, and he just about Yeah, he said, what are you doing? Locked you guys us insane? up. <laughs> so we ask you, Gord, if anybody on the planet can lead us in the right direction on this topic, it's got to be the doc. What say ye? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things, guys. Um, it, it, we now, you know, most, most of the world, or at least North America, we live in cities. And we forget we're part of nature. We are part of the system. And uh, Mother Nature doesn't play favorites. Um, She doesn't say, uh, you know, you guys are smart. And so, you know, you've got an advantage. Uh, um, These parasites, uh, diseases, bacteriums, whatever, they're designed to, to, to keep our numbers down. 
that's the whole reason that they're and and we are part of that system. But we start living in cities and we start going to restaurants and we eat sushi all the time and we forget the fact that in North America it is illegal to serve fresh fish without it being either cooked or flash frozen and stored at a at a specific temperature frozen for X number of days. And that's to kill all the things that potentially can kill you. But, so, but you know, should you, should you eat it? It's probably 99 times out of 100 isn't going to do any, isn't going to cause any damage at all. Um, but you want to take that risk. And that's what it's always about. The risk of, of uh, you, you want a 25-foot uh, tapeworm growing in your stomach. If you do, then uh, by all means, eat the Go fish. for it. <laughs> So, so all of our sushi that we get at a sushi bar here, if seemingly fresh, is all frozen in Canada, correct? Or in Ontario, or yeah. yeah, Canada, yeah. I think there's one. There's one West Coast. It's either I think it might be halibut, uh, but I, I stand corrected. There's only one species that they allow potentially to to, to allow you to eat. But the the reality is in North America, the United States and Canada, it has to be frozen, flash frozen, and then it's thawed, of course, and then it's served as fresh. But Mm -hmm. it gets back to your point a little bit earlier there about mislabeling fish. I yeah. mean, it is fresh, but it's freshly thawed, frozen fish. Yeah, the first thought, my first thought, when you see that piece of salmon sitting there raw, that's, oh my God, they just filleted that sucker it's three still, days ago. It's, it's still, still moving. wiggling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's reassuring, in a sense. They're trying to kill bacteria if there is such a thing in there, in it. But, but yeah. You know. But even that is not uh, 100% agreed upon. Uh, we've talked to a few experts that... Uh, and we've gotten both sides of the f- flash freezing story. Uh, I've always heard the flash freezing takes care of everything. And uh, but we're going to have a guest coming up a little later on, uh, Gord. Uh, his name is Ken Cashin. Uh, he is uh, a food safety consultant with Insight Marketing and PEI. And he's the yep. former owner of uh, Innovative Quality Solutions, which uh, looked after the entire East Coast in terms of setting up all the plants and making sure that they're compliant with all of the uh, safety issues and, and food contaminant issues. And uh, he's got an interesting opinion about uh, flash freezing that we'll talk about in a few minutes uh, later on in the program. Um, but there doesn't see. I guess I throw that in there because there's nothing conclusive. We've talked to all sides, and, and shortly we'll have a, a, a Antonio uh, Malacca joining us here in a few minutes who – who prepares uh, uh, sushi all the time. So we're, we're going to have his opinion on this. And there's nothing that, honestly, so far that I've heard that would preclude me from having a wild-caught walleye in northern Ontario, for example, uh, uh, sushi, sushi style. Okay, Gord, oh, so, nothing. so there... What nothing kind to of- stop you guys, yeah. but... Yep. From a food safety perspective, yep. when you know uh, uh, you can eat it, uh, you can choose not to get a, a, a vaccination. That we won't even go down that road. Right. But <laughs> every every one of those decisions, you're make you're taking you're making a risk assessment. Right. Um, there's there's things like in in uh, bear bear meat trichinosis and in rabbits to laremia and and in the old days they would kill you. Uh, uh, trichinosis causes mardio, uh, uh, card, card, 
I forget how the heck you even pronounce it, but myocarditis, uh, encephalitis, uh, meningitis. Um, go to the Mayo Clinic or go to the CDC, and you can get that. And here's, I was thinking of this, Ange, when you were talking about flash freezing. Uh, one of the biggest causes of, of trichinosis from bear is after it is smoked and then dried and served as jerky. And when you smoke it, and, and, and dry it and serve it as jerky, you still haven't killed the trichinosis bacteria. Wow. It's still, so again, it's a risk assessment. And, you know, the CDC, Canadian Health, and Mayo Clinic, and, and the experts, if you will, you're taking a risk if you don't do those sorts of things, if you don't cook it, or you don't first flash freeze it. So so go back to walleye now, Gord. What is there... Do walleyes have parasites, and if so, what kind of what can we expect in a in a a normal walleye? What could happen to them? You know, that's a great question, Pete. Because uh, I, I always I always uh, check my every time I clean a fish, and I'm sure you guys do the same. I always open the stomach up to see what they're eating, mm-hmm. and that how you know if they're eating perch, then we put on perch baits. If they're eating Cisco's or Shiner's, we'll put on a... So I'm always checking the stomachs to see what they're eating. Mm-hmm. And on, on Lake of the Woods here, and I would say at least 25% of the time, minimal 25% of the time, uh, they're full of tapeworms, the stomach. But that's in the stomach. You're not eating the stomach. Right. So no big deal. Right. And... We know when we catch smallmouth bass, there's always uh, two or three other smallmouth following in the hooked one we've got on. And as soon as you hook a smallmouth and you're fighting it, what do they do? They regurgitate their meal. They they can fight you better on an empty stomach. So they spit out the crayfish. They spit out whatever's in their stomach. And how many times have you seen? It looks like they just, they're spitting out long streams of spaghetti. And those are tapeworms in their wow. stomach. Wow, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, But we're not eating what's inside them. We clean them and we're eating the flesh. So right. the three things that we tend to see in walleye, smallmouth, yellow perch, black crappie, northern pike lake trout, uh, the three things we tend to see are yellow grubs, totally mm-hmm. harmless. Mm-hmm. Black, black spots, totally harmless. They're parasites, really fascinating life cycles. And the third one is broadfish tapeworm. And that's totally different than the tapeworm that's in their stomach. You do not want to get broadfish tapeworm. Uh, If you eat it, and if you don't cook your fish long enough to kill the broadfish tapeworm, and or if you eat it raw and you get it, it, it can grow to 25, 30 feet in your stomach. Oh, my God. And- not to gross you guys out at all, but I shared this story with Dean yesterday. When I was a kid, I I got I got a part time job one time in a fish and chip store, and uh, my job was to come in uh, and take the worms out of the fish that they were serving. That's all I did. Out of the meat or out of out, the, of, the, out of the meat. Like out of the filet. These were so what oh they would do. God. What they would do. They would get these big blocks of. Now why, this is why I say. The, the jury's out on this freezing and not freezing stuff, okay? So they get these big blocks of, they look like a big, huge, one foot by two foot chunk of ice. Yeah, yeah. And they would thaw it out, mm-hmm. and there would be like a billion 
pieces of, of halibut and haddock and, and whatever that particular one was. And then my job was to come in after this was all thawed is to spread the stall, stuff all out on this big uh, uh, stainless steel table. And my oh job my was to pull all of the worms out of it. Oh, my God. Now, now most of the time, Gord, and I don't remember. I was, I was like 14 years old. Most of the time, they were dead. But every once in a while... I would get one, and it's moving. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, I mean, it was completely frozen. You know how long it was frozen for, but it was completely frozen. My my whole point I'm making here is, you know how how uh, easy it is to distract a 14 year old kid from doing the right job. Oh yeah. Well, I can guarantee you that a lot of the stuff that I processed <laughs> was not. You better hope clear. those guys cook that food completely, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so wow. But and I remember the boss uh, coming in. Because uh, when I, I I didn't know anything about this stuff, it was a brand new job for me. Mm-hmm. So when he was showing me through the, the what what the job entailed, uh, he 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 just said to me, he says, "Yeah, he says uh, you must get that out. That's not good." And he showed me one of these worms. Mm-hmm. I said, "Oh, okay." He says, "Customers don't like that." <laughs> I remember that customers what don't you like, use, like that. tweezers and a knife or something. Knife, knife. Just yeah. cut it out. Yeah. Holy well, God. guys, right now and your guest coming on later, guys. The uh, your your guest from the east coast yeah. if you've been down on the cleaning plants there the la and here here's my other point i guess what what's the one species you rarely see on any sushi menu and that's cod mm-hmm. and yeah <laughs> if you see cod on the east coast every cod fillet goes over a light table yeah. and right. there's a series of workers and they're sitting there with these gigantic tweezers and they're pulling seal worms out of the cod yeah. And that's the reason, and I would suspect, uh, uh, Ange, back, you know, when, when we were 14, 15 years old, um, most fish wasn't being frozen for 14 days. That's right. And, <laughs> and uh, if you saw cod worms or seal worms coming out of cod, and I don't think we'd eat cod fillets anymore. Well, I can tell you, it turned me off of consuming <laughs> fish back then for a while. Uh, it was pretty gross. Oh, it was it. pretty gross. Gord, so you, went, you, you briefly, uh, and I know you did a piece just uh, on Outdoor Canada about the black spot disease. That's a very common one that people see in Canada for sure. I don't know about in the U.S., but up in Canada, those little black spots you see on all the skin, you said they're harmless. Do they get into the meat as well? Oh, they do, Pete. Uh, you know, when uh, what I normally do, and, uh, and I, I quite enjoy actually eating northern pike. Uh, mm-hmm. We love a northern that's uh, 20, 24, 26 inch northern. Yep. Yep. Uh, we've got to release everything here 27 and over. So, but you, as you earlier talked about, the smaller ones are by far the best. And if you only see one, two, three black spots on the skin, it's unlikely you're going to see any more on the flesh. And if you do, they're just like yellow grubs. You take the end of the knife and flick them out. And if you're going to deep fry them, no big deal. But what the black is, is it when, once the parasite enters the skin or the flesh, uh, the natural reaction of the host animal is to encrust it. So it goes into a cyst and the black is actually kind of a shell that the fish produces to stop the parasite from... Uh, oh, from that's from, cool. Yeah. But wow. um, once you fill it, it uh, no big deal. The, the principal one we have to worry about is tapeworm and i i actually have a an acquaintance and he he, he was up in uh, northwest territories and they were eating cooked lake trout but it was uh, not well cooked 
And you, oh, it gosh. was, I think the tapeworm was about 20, 25 feet when they removed it from them. Wow. Oh my God. Wow. And that, now the, go back to them. Let's go back to the tapeworm. This is important for people, filet and fish. Is it easy to see? Is it not easy? To, I mean, that was hidden in a late throat steak or a fillet or whatever it was. Is it hard to see in these, in the meat? Yeah, that's the one I, 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 I quite enjoy two, three, four times a winter to keep a trout. And I would say a quarter of the time. I actually will find a, a tape, broadfish tapeworm in the in the flesh, um, wow. and what and if they it, the real tough part it is hard to see Pete, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a little so it, it, uh, what I always do is rub my hand over it, and if you rub your hand over the flesh, you're going to feel ooh that's a there's a little hard crusty part of the flesh there, and if you look hard enough, you'll see that it's a little tiny circular. And that often is the broad fish tapeworm that's encrusted. And it tends to be lake trout, northern pike, whitefish are probably the three. Uh, and and it's, I do believe that whitefish are the primary host. And then lake trout and, and uh, northern pike tend Good to feed God. on the whiteies. Wow. Uh, safe that's to crazy. assume uh, 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 cooking obviously kills just everything. I about to right? ask that. How long would you have like, to cook it yeah, for it, to kill that? Any idea? I, I, I forget what the temperature is. Uh, folks can check it online uh, with the internal temperature. But if you, the traditional shore lunch style of breading and dipping it into hot oil and, and the deep fry, um, mm-hmm. you know, that generally does kill it. Yeah, because you know what the problem, like what I like to do when I get uh, fillet my fish and eat them is i like to pan fry them and i just get it to the just center portion exactly. and flip it and just get it to the center portion and do it's just cooked you know what i mean and i might not be killing that tapeworm by doing that you know what i mean because overcooking fish is the worst like like steak it's the worst thing right. you can do right? right but but i might not be killed i have to watch that obviously with pike you know think of how extreme we're going right now we started off the program by saying hey we've eaten raw walleye now we're worried about <laughs> how hot can we get this oil to kill everything burn that shit because i don't oh. want to die <laughs> man, oh man, this is bizarre. Uh, but one thing, oh, you know, uh, getting back to sushi, I believe that it's mandatory. But uh, if you look at a sushi menu in fine print at the bottom of every one of them, it does tell you that you're basically uh, risking uh, health here uh, by consuming this raw fish. Really? So, oh, yeah, there's a disclaimer. Okay. Because, and we'll find out a little later on uh, when Ken joins us. Uh, just how extreme that can be in terms of uh, of some of the stuff. As he puts it, if we knew what we were eating when we when we consumed sushi, uh, we wouldn't eat it anymore. In his wow. opinion, in his opinion. But anyways, we'll we'll uh, we'll deal with that um, moving down the road. I wanted to ask you, Gord. We've talked about walleye, lake trout, pike. How about crappie? Well, all of them. Um, I mean it, it, the. What happens is uh, the the real principal start is when a fish-eating bird, so seagulls, bald eagles, herons, ospreys, uh, kingfishers, blue herons. In fact, blue heron is probably, uh, for yellow grubs, is probably the key host. And so they eat a fish that's infected. They swallow it. Uh, the, the eggs, if you're the, the host parasite in their, either in their stomach and in blue heron, uh, once it hatches actually goes up to their throat 
and the eggs are in its throat. So every time it puts its mouth in the water, it's expelling eggs. Oh and then th- those, oh, once they've hatched, they, believe it or not, only have tw- less than 24 hours to find a snail. And it's an, a certain types of snails. And then it go, it's a larval form. It, it takes the next generation into the snail. It develops in the snail. And then it leaves the snail and it's got 24 out this little tiny periscopic, you can't even see it. They're swimming through the water and they've let, got less than 24 hours to find a fish to go invade the fish. And then, of course, uh, and they can live in the fish, though the, the yellow grubs and black spots, um, they'll stay in the fish for four years, three, four years until something, either a bigger fish or a, a, a bird eats it. And... Uh, The other thing, I know Pete asked this question, I think, when we were chatting earlier via email. The interesting thing is virtually none of these parasites, the fish do not get them from eating things on the bottom. They find the fish. They're swimming through the water. And what I've always kind of intrigued me, it's one of the reasons you don't want to put a cup, your cup in the lake, I guess, and take a drink of raw water (laughs) if you have those uh, unseen uh, uh, parasite swimming around. I don't know what would happen if once they're in your in your stomach and they in. Wow. Maybe you just pass them out. But the bottom line is most of these things do not get into the fish because the fish eat them. They find the fish. They invade from the water. Uh, they're microscopic well, and they get into the fish swimming. The, the question begs to be asked then if that's the case are we are we susceptible as humans of getting them by swimming in water that have got these things has that ever been uh, you know something that's been noted i i, I would suspect not because okay. i've never seen anybody with black spots or or uh, yellow grubs on their on their skin so i suspect not um uh it's a good question but i i i do suspect not uh, they they do host and they they look even even the snails uh, they need to find certain specific uh, uh, types of snails in wow. which to that's insane you know, Na- grow, nature's, nature's what, just what insane. okay here's the here's the scenario so a, a eight pound walleye eats a half pound perch that is full of either one the yellow grubs or the black spots will that walleye then could he get that disease through fish to fish. Consumption. No, no, it's uh, uh, no. I think broadfish tapeworm, yes, but uh, yellow spot spots and and uh, or sorry, yellow grubs and black spot. It is caused by that. Yep. It's this little bug with okay. uh, hairy, hairy, and once it leaves the snail, it's got twenty four hours to burrow into the skin. So <laughs> they're not generally uh, parasites from eating. Now, I caught a I caught a, a walleye. And I actually posted this online and, and talked to some friends. I actually showed it wiggling. And when I cleaned the walleye, it looked they looked like the dew worms that are on your front lawn. Oh, my come God. on. Yeah. And now they were smaller. I, 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 they were smaller, but they were wiggling like crazy. And it was very clear they weren't tapeworms. They were brown. And they're worms that the walleye obviously saw them crawling along the bottom and it ate them. But again, it's in in the fish's stomach, mm-hmm. and it's nothing more than protein. 
Wow. Look at that. I'm just wondering, I was laughing there because I wonder how many people uh, are listening to this uh, this podcast right now and saying, you idiots, you just turned me off of my favorite, <laughs> my favorite pastime next to fishing is, is having a shore lunch. And now I'm, I'm like, I don't even know that I'm going to be able to stare at a fillet anymore. <laughs> I can't um, drink the lake water. I yeah, can't exactly. eat the fish out of the lake. What the hell's going on? Oh, oh it's, it's, you know, it comes down to a couple of things. Uh, number one is there's no medals for self-inflicted wounds. Mm, so good uh, one. Good you, know, one. You, you evaluate the risk and you take the proper precautions and it's no big deal. Yellow grubs, even if you ate one raw, not going to do you any harm. Right. Just a little bit of added protein. Now, I have eaten fish with black spot and I'll tell you, I don't like the crunchy. Uh, you go, oh my gosh, what are you? it's like eating little specks of sand. And then you oh. realize, oh my gosh. I, I couldn't handle I that know. one. I couldn't handle that one. Any sand and any food or whatever. Uh, oh, really? Okay. God. The other thing is, is most of the symptoms are fever, cough, uh, headaches, nausea, vomiting. And most people suspect they've got a, a slight case of the flu or a cold. Yeah. So, yeah. you know what the reality is? Probably many of us have had it. And yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. Hey, Gord, uh, one last thing we need to run by you. You know, mercury is is ever present in uh, in most of our waterways. And and I dare say in a lot of the fish that we consume, um, there's a misnomer out there that that you cook mercury out of a fish. And I want you to just yeah, exactly. (laughs) I want you to just talk about that for a moment. No, there's there's uh, unfortunately, um, you know, once it's in the once it's in the flesh, and unfortunately, once it's in the environment, it can it just remains. And you know, I happened I'm up in Kenora here in Northwest Ontario, and uh, we were the epicenter in the English Wabagoon system uh, because of the the reed paper pulp mill in Dryden. When you look at the quantities that got inadvertently released into the river it would shock you how small amounts those are, but they have filtered and they've spread out and there's just no way. And it's to the point where once it settles in the sediment, they don't even want to go and try and clean up the lake bottoms. Once it settles, let it stay there. Yeah. Uh, Stir it up and and it gets worse, right? Yes. Once you stir it up and mix it all up, it gets back in like a cloud of smoke. But you cannot cook it. And you guys were absolutely right. Um, I know that some folks think it's bad conservation, but the absolute best conservation from a fishing perspective is to eat small fish and to let the big ones go. It's the it's the perfect win-win-win situation. Uh, a big walleye will lay three quarters to a million eggs. They're twice the size. They have a far higher rate of hatching, and uh, they uh, so let the big walleyes that that produce their the golden uh, geese that lay the golden eggs. Let them go, and those smaller expendable members of the population. And you see, with mercury, it's bioaccumulation. So they when you're a young walleye that's only fed on minnows for two, three years and small, tiny fish, you have much less chance of bioaccumulating mercury. Whereas those bigger lake trout, bigger walleye, bigger northern pike that are eating all the other fish that have 
already have the mercury in them. They bioaccumulate it and it keeps growing and growing. So the biggest good conservation measure is to keep small fish and let the big ones go. Well said. The only argument to that, and I've had this argument presented to me, is, well, okay, but but small fish turn into big fish. If you consume oh. all the small fish, we're not going to have any big fish in the future. I'm not saying I'm not saying consume them all. Okay. I'm saying That's it. if you're That's going it. to keep a couple of fish, keep two 15-inch walleyes versus one 30-inch walleye. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure, and and we won't even get into the whole uh, enjoyment of of eating a nice, you know, fifteen inch walleye fillet versus a great big, and I, I don't think I've ever done it, but you know, eating an eight or nine or ten pound walleye, it cannot taste as can't be as good as, as, good as that little be. small. I've fish. had some like I've eaten five and six pound walleye, and some of them are good. You know, it depends how you cook them yeah. to the extent of cooking them and that. Yeah. But again, you got to cook them longer because they're thicker. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. All that. And it's, it, but yeah, That's a 16. To, remember uh, Gary Beersley up in Lac, uh, Lac Sewell? Sweet 16s, he called them. Sweet, sweet 16s. Because they were sweet tasting. <laughs> they were a perfect size wall. I mean, 16 to 17. Gord, I'm going to go back. I, I mentioned your name earlier. In, in uh, our studies here, it says a male walleye are rarely over 18 inches long. That was on the internet. Is that true? It is, Pete. Um, 18, 19, maybe they get up to 20, but it's the same with uh, 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 muscalunge. Very rare to see a 40, 42-inch uh, male muskie. There's no advantage <clears throat> from Mother Nature's perspective. What's the advantage of having a big male? Um, but a big female, there's only one way a fish can lay more eggs, and that's to get bigger. Wow. So, so the, the five, the, uh, those five and six pound walleye we're getting, they're all skinnied out and they look like a male. They're not males, probably 25, nope, 26 inches. They're all virtually always. And the other wow. thing, Pete, is cool. you, those are the fish you'll be catching right now. Uh, so right. go out right now. And, and if you're catching walleyes like those big ones coming into Lake uh, or into the Bay of Quinty, virtually all females. Mm -hmm. And what those fish are doing is actually making that huge journey so that they don't have to do it come spawning time next spring. They get the big movement out of the way, spend the winter in the bay, and then run up the river and drop the eggs. Wow. But there is no advantage to a northern pike, a muskie, a uh, 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 walleye. The only fish where the advantage goes to the male is a bass. And why? Because the bass protects Protect those yeah. small numbers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the biggest the biggest fish that uh, Dr. Ridgeway, Mark Ridgeway's ever looked at, uh, set to seven pound males. And that's what they were, males, because they protect the, the nest. And again, for all those folks that say, let's open the season and fish uh, when they're on the beds, remember a female bass only lays a couple thousand eggs. So the walleye broadcasts a million and a, a female bass only lays a few thousand. But that big male sticks around and protects them. So at the end of the day, when those five, eight, ten years later, when two, three, four mature and come back out of all the thousands that were hatched, it's the same percentage for both the male uh, bass and 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 walleye mm. because that male bass protected those fragile. Yeah, did his two. job. Cool. And that, my friend, is why we call you the doc. Okay. 
That's why we call you the doc. Plain and simple. Always, always informative and an absolute pleasure. I'm wondering uh, if there's an advantage to having big males in the human race then. Because, well, look at me. Well, that's what I'm. That's why I'm saying that compared to me. You know what I'm. You know what I'm, I'm saying. That's because I am the protector of the nest, my friend. You <laughs> and I'm the nest raider. <laughs> You're a nest raider, exactly. That's okay, one sorry. road I'm not going down. <laughs> uh, Gordy, uh, thank you very much. By the way, uh, for you folks who uh, want to stay in tune and touch, uh, read Gord, listen to Gord, watch Gord, uh, Outdoor Canada Magazine, because he is the fishing editor of that fine publication. And of course, you can also see Gord all over. Over the internet, uh, just Google Gord Pizer, and you will have not hours or days, but months and months of great information like you just heard on this podcast. Uh, Gordy, uh, my friend, thank you very much. Uh, oh, and, you're more than welcome. And uh, we will talk to you very soon. And stay away from that raw fish, buddy. Okay. A bon appetit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gord. Uh, Gord Pizer, the fish doc, uh, Outdoor Canada Magazine. Of course, you are probably also used to seeing him on out, out, Outdoor. No. Fish in Canada. Yeah. I remember, uh, you remember that name, don't you? The Fish you, in Canada television show, fishincanada.com, on uh, Fish in Canada podcasts. He's everywhere. He's all over the socials. Look him up. He's just a, he so, is a wealth of knowledge, and he's a riot to listen to, and, and, and just you learn so much from Gord. Our next guest, on the other hand, um, is also a regular with us, and uh, as I mentioned earlier on, he is host of Fish Du Jour on Fish in Canada. His name is Antonio Maleka. He is somebody that I've always been intrigued with. I first ran into Antonio uh, when he was doing a, um, an internet show. Uh, and he'll tell us all about that here in a minute, where he would uh, catch fish and then prepare them on the same program, which was very cool, uh, with his guests. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but we, uh, asked him the same question about eating raw freshwater fish and, uh, very interesting perspective. He joins us now. Good morning, Antonio, or good afternoon, I guess it would be. Good day. Good, good day. afternoon, boys. <laughs> it was, Great day. Always uh, a good day. Uh, it's a wonderful day. Uh, thanks for doing this with us, uh, my friend. Appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, first of all, let me tell folks, uh, you are the executive chef and owner of Gourmet Craft and Catering. Uh, and for the most part, uh, you look after the stars. Uh, your company yep. and yourself prepares meals for uh, all the wonderful actors that we have fallen in love with on the big screen and also on television. And uh, you're, you uh, you uh, prepare them some pretty interesting things. Uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of sharing with you some of the stuff that you prepare for. But there was a very interesting one that you we could start yeah. your segment with. And maybe you could just share that with the audience. Yeah, about, um, I'd say about seven years ago when uh, Pompeii was being filmed here in Toronto, um, they, they hired me and my company to uh, cook on the show, all the movie actually. And uh, Kit Harrington was the uh, main actor of the movie who is uh, Jon Snow. And uh, for a Game of Thrones, which was was pretty huge seven years ago. And I wasn't really into the show. I really didn't know who Kit Harington was. Um, usually I just try to keep it professional when actors and actresses come into the city. And, you know, I take care of them with their food and dealing with their publicists and basically taking care of them the whole time that they're here in Toronto. And uh, one day um, Kit approached me and says, you know, he wanted to get out of here for a weekend. He says he needed to leave the city. He wanted to go away. And, 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 and believe me, he was really popular at the time because I think Game of Thrones was one of the most trending shows on TV. Um, so I took him, I took him to Lake Nipissing for a weekend and uh, he's never caught a fish in his life. So he wanted to get away. We took him out to uh, Bear Creek Cottages there. 
And uh, Sean and I, who was my co-host on the show, um, took him out for smallmouth bass. It was later in the year and we were getting them uh, just, just old school fishing with a bobber and a leech. And, uh, you know, to see the, the kid's face when he was hooking into these, you know, four or five pound smallies, he was in heaven. He absolutely loved it. So, um, you know, we, 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 we asked him if he wanted to keep a couple fish to consume and he's, the fish was his favorite thing. So, um, he said, absolutely. I want to keep a couple fish. So we kept a couple fish and, uh, we get back and I, I said, the kid, I said, how do you want me to prepare this for you? And he said, well, I want sashimi. And, and, and it kind of caught me off guard because, you know, I've never prepared a raw um, piece of bass before in my career. I mean, I, I've, I've grew up in working in um, fish restaurants and, and preparing sushi uh, the traditional way, but I've never done it with a freshwater fish. So it was, it was a little scary for me. Again, I, I, I did a little bit of research, and, and, but when Kit Harrington asks me to prepare him you know, sashimi with his, with his bass. Um, I couldn't say no, you know, and, and needless to say. So I, I, I went back to the camp and I said to Sean, I said, you know, have you ever done this before with a bass? And he says, no, I, I've never done this before. You might want to look into it. Um, so again, you know, speaking with Gordon and, and obviously everyone's been, that's been listening, you know, there's a process of doing sushi, um, with the flash freezing, the IQF, and it's, it's not even about, just taking a piece of uh, freshwater fish, ziplocking it, or even um, you know cryovacking the, the fillet and putting it in a freezer. It actually has to be held at a certain temperature when you're trying to eliminate any uh, parasites or, or tapeworms or anything like that. So obviously we didn't have at the camp a freezer that was capable of doing that. So all these things were happening, and you know Kit was 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 pretty um, <laughs> excited to have this uh, smallmouth sashimi. And, um, and, of course you anyways, said, and of course you said, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Harrington asked me to make them sashimi. I'm making them the sushi. Um, so, you know, I, I did a bit of research on my phone. And, I, and, and, and again, I've, I've been preparing um, sushi in my career all the time. It's just I've never done it with freshwater fish. And, and again, like you said, the first thing that comes up when you punch in, you know, having freshwater fish raw, you know, there's a thousand articles that will come up saying, don't do it, you know, <laughs> but I know as a, you know, as a chef and preparing sushi, working in restaurants, working alongside some of the best um, sushi chefs in the world that I've, I've been able to work with in my career. Um, there is a process that you can do that, um, you know, and, and even when you're cleaning the fish, like Gord was mentioning early, you can typically see um, any kind of worms or any kind of when you're gutting the fish. Um, so, you know, as I, as I was cleaning that particular fish, I didn't see anything. It looked pretty clean. Um, but again, I didn't have the proper freezer. So what we did was, you know, I, I, I kept the fish, uh, cold in the fridge, brought it back to Toronto where my shop is. And I do have, um, a freezer that goes below minus 18 degrees. So I vac sealed the fish. I, um, left it in there for 48 hours. The next day, on the Monday morning, I had his publicist reach out to me and say, Kit's wondering if he can have his fish that he caught <laughs> prepared. And, 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 you know, it, it was it was very, um, needless to say, um, stressful. Um, but again, I pulled it out. It froze for 48 hours in my freezer and I prepared it um, the way I would typically uh, prepare any kind of sushi. And uh, he absolutely loved it. And it was, you know, I, I ended up cleaning and doing his fish for about three, three days in a row. 
just different ways of preparing wow. it. And it was his absolute favorite thing. Did you try it? I did. I, I, I try everything. I have to, as a chef, you know, yeah. you're, you eat, I, I, I tell people we eat 50 meals a day because we're always tasting everything. Right. I'll never put out a dish unless I tried it myself. Um, I, I was a little bit nervous, but to be honest, it was very delicate. It was smallmouth bass. And, um, you know, there's also, you're not taking your knife and, and cutting it nice and thin and putting it in your mouth. You know, there's, there's also process of making the fish taste sweeter. You can add a little bit of brown sugar, salt brine. Um, then uh, of course, having your, um, ginger and, and wasabi and, and a lot of the soy sauce. There's so many different ways to prepare sashimi. So um, I prepared it three different ways for him, and he absolutely loved it. Some, mm. Somebody once told me that uh, citric, like lemon juice, uh, yep. on a fish will will kill a lot of it the parasites. The, it kind of cooks the meat, doesn't it, in yeah. a way? It does, yeah. So then that was one of the ways that I did it. Um, um, it's called ceviche, and typically it's a Mexican dish, or actually I, I, could, I could say that uh, – Puerto Ricans say that it was sort of their national dish, but um, it's very popular in Mexico and it's usually done with uh, salmon, uh, salmon ceviche. They do it in tacos or they, they eat it raw and, um, you know, just with a little bit of cilantro, diced jalapenos, pico de gallo. And all it is, is it's just straight lime juice. And what happens is, is typically you'd need to submerge that meat in the lime juice for about two hours in the refrigerator. And what that does is it penetrates into the meat and it actually cooks the meat. So it's, 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 there's, there's people out there that have done it right away. They'll put their lime juice on it, mix it up and they'll eat it. Well, well, they're basically eating it raw mm -hmm. because you need about two hours to penetrate into this, to the meat. And you will see a difference if you're doing it with salmon or tuna, the color will, will drastically change. You'll go from a, a light pink to almost a, um, a gray pink. And that, that sh will show you that the juice, the citrus in the juice actually penetrated through the fish. Now we've uh, mentioned it a couple of times on the program, uh, and that is the, the phrase flash freezing. Explain to us what exactly that is. Right. So, so typically when you, when you do have sushi at a sushi restaurant, it, it, it never comes fresh. It's always IQF individually quick frozen. Now, like I mentioned before, when you are um, ordering, you know, a, a, a piece of tuna or a piece of salmon at a sushi restaurant um, and you're calling your local provider, I use Allseas, who is wonderful. Um, you order it IQF. There is an actual certain temperature that that fish needs to be uh, IQF, uh, individually uh, quick frozen uh, before it actually travels to the customer. And that is minus 18 degrees. Now, everyone at home has a, you know, just a, a regular freezer. You can freeze things, but, you know, IQF is something that you need to do, especially people that are ordering fish that's going to be served raw because that will eliminate any or kill any of the worms or any of the things that are inside the meat. So um, when you go to the grocery stores, as, as I, I heard you guys talking about before, when you see that piece of fish that's sitting on a nice bed of ice, you know, uh, let's take salmon, for instance, and you take that home and you cook it in the oven and you bake it in the oven. Well, 90% of that time, when you cook that fish at a certain temperature, like what Gord was saying, you might kill any kind of bacteria growth or even any tapeworms or, or parasites that are that is in that meat, especially if you fry it. You're frying fish at 350 degrees in hot oil. It's, it's, it's pretty much going to get cooked right down. But when you're consuming it raw, it really, really needs to be 
frozen at a certain temperature before um, you receive it thawed and then serve it raw. Hmm. And that's minus 18. Minus 18 degrees is where um, typically they will hold the fish. Some places might even have it colder. Um, a quick story, when I was in the Florida Keys, we were filming um, an episode out in uh, Florida Keys. And like like you mentioned on the show, we would catch the fish and prepare the fish raw. And our guests of the day would would uh, have a little cook-off and eat it. Now, it wasn't always raw, but there was one particular episode that we did in the Keys where we consumed tuna right, and yellowtail right out of the, right out of the water. And again, it's quite nerve wracking because it's my job to make sure that it's safe. Now, um, you know, there, there's, there's a place out in the Keys that actually will, f- will freeze your fish and send it to you, um, to your house in Canada. So we caught so much fish that, the, the our guests that were with us said, well, can we take this back home with us to Canada? And we took it to the local, um, factory there that does that sort of thing. And what they do is they, 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 um, We'll individually cryovac each piece or each fillet, um, flash freeze it at minus more than minus 18, and then pack it in dry ice in a Yeti cooler and send it over to your house. Now it's quite expensive to do that because you actually have to pay for the cooler at the same time. But <laughs> those aren't um, cheap. <laughs> not a cheap cooler. No. Uh, but that's that's to ensure that they are covering themselves sending over you know, 50 pounds of yellowtail snapper across the country mm-hmm. um, to end up on your front door. Now, I wouldn't suggest that you ate that uh, raw, but um, our guests were were quite intrigued in eating it raw. Wow. So just so that I get this straight here. So you're saying that I can go out and get my limited walleye and right. I can take them to a facility or can I, can, let me ask you this. Can I buy a, a refrigerator that will take it down to minus 18? You could, the rest of Absolutely. us. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, they, they, they are going to be a commercial grade kitchen, um, uh, freezer, but there are some freezers that you can look online and you can actually, um, punch it in. You know, I need a freezer that will go to a certain or minus 18 or, or, or more. And if you have a vac sealer at home, when you clean your fish, make sure you watch, Everything that's going on when you're cleaning that fish, if you can dictate or see anything while you're cleaning the fish, obviously that's the best way to um, prepare it. And then you cryovac. So, you, you you know, some people say putting it into Ziploc bags. Well, Ziploc bags doesn't really mm-hmm. take the air out when exactly. you are going to individually um, freeze something. So I would suggest obviously using um, a vac machine, vac that filet or in individual steaks of fish and dropping it into that freezer and letting it stay for at least two days. What's a, what's a, like an average consumer freezer is only like minus five, seven. What, what, what's that? Minus, yeah. Minus seven. I, I, there, there are some freezers There are some like Frigidaires can get down to minus 10. And, and, um, and minus, I, minus seven will not do is what you're saying. Um, I mean, I wouldn't suggest it. Um, typically reading articles and, and even working with, um, professionals in the industry they will not take a fish that hasn't been um frozen for at least minus it's probably days. too a bit the flash freezing though is to get it actually out quicker 
too, because it, it, take, it would take longer to freeze at minus 7 or minus 5. And then let's say you had to have a certain time limit or something like that, and maybe you'd have to have it three weeks or a month in there compared to that flash freezing was in, instant, not instantly, but very quickly freezes it. I, I'm, I'm assuming that might be the, uh, I, the thought pattern, no? I think both of you are yeah. going to be surprised uh, when our next guest comes on and okay. uh, tells you his version of that story. That's why I'm asking Antonio it. these questions. So, okay. so so Don't try and trick my Antonio here. Okay? No, 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 no. So, so okay. So I caught this limited walleye, got them all nicely cleaned up. I checked them out. I couldn't see anything. Aesthetically, they look like a normal walleye, you know, fillet. Nothing sticking out or wiggling or nothing. I've done all the right things. I use my, my uh, vacuum seal machine and I seal them up uh, nice and tight. Then I either make a purchase of a freezer that will go down to minus 18, or I'm sure that I can go to my local uh, food Flash supply place. Guy. Yeah, I'm sure there's there's <laughs> yeah. a service out there. And I take all of these uh, wonderful fillets, uh, and, and I give them uh, to him, to her, to, to freeze for me at minus 18. A week later, I pick them up. I bring them home. I can now open up one of those bags and I can prepare it sushi style without any worries at all. Two weeks. Absolutely. And, and, and again, I, I've done it. Um, I've done it privately uh, for, you know, my customers and I don't sell fish. I don't. Um, That's you a know, disclaimer, I, I, by the way. What he's doing now is <laughs> called a disclaimer. <laughs> it's called cover your ass. ass exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, and I've done it with other species of, of uh, freshwater fish, too. I've, I've done uh, crappy ceviche style, which was, uh, you know, the person that I prepared it for said it was the absolute most delicious thing they've ever had. <laughs> and um, an, another thing to think about as well, when you are doing this process at home, you don't want to let a fish sit for two or three days um, before you clean it and then vac seal it. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, you want to try to do this. Pro if you're having sushimi, if you're planning on having sushi, you want to have that fish as fresh as possible. Right. And you have a, uh, you know, if, if you get back to camp and you have a couple fish and, and you gut them and you put them in your fridge um, or freeze them, pull them out later and then clean them. Um, I don't think that would be the safest way no. to consume Right. um freshwater right. fish raw right. i would probably typically clean that fish right away vac seal it get it frozen yeah. and i think and and that was my issue too with kid harrington is because um i wanted to make sure that i'm i'm that this fish was absolutely safe for him to eat right and um he absolutely loved it and and so have all the other customers okay i, I got okay i got one for him too but you what do you got no, no, I was just going to say, okay, so I can do that. I can go okay. out and get walleye. I can do all the right things, freeze it up at minus 18, two weeks later, thaw one out, put it on my plate, and just. Perfect. So since we can do that, Tony, is there a difference yep. between, and we're going to do the whole procedure, flash freezing, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a difference between a British Columbia saltwater Chinook salmon and a Lake Ontario Chinook salmon. If we were to take that and compare the meat, the raw meat after it's been flash frozen a lot, can we do that with our freshwater salmon here in Lake Ontario? And is it, I mean, are they the same fish to begin with and do they taste the same, et cetera, et cetera? That's a, that's a great question, Pete. Um, I've seen both. I've worked with both. Um, there is a difference between the fish from BC then to our Lake Ontario salmon. And I would, I would, I could only say from experience, the mercury level, I think, would be higher in the Lake Ontario um, salmon. Again, I'm not a professional. Gord might be able to, 
to answer that question better. But in terms of a visual aspect, in terms of taste, uh, I can tell you right now that the salmon that comes from the saltwater in BC is a much higher grade um, of, of, of even taste um, than the fish from Lake Ontario. Now, I've, I've, I haven't done uh, sushi from a Lake Ontario salmon before, but I have smoked a salmon. I have had um, done it ceviche style. So again, it wasn't raw. We cooked it in the lime juice and everyone seemed to absolutely love it. Um, but when I purchase fish here and I'm buying, you know, uh, fish that comes from BC or if I'm buying steelhead or whatever it is, um, you can notice a big difference in the color of the fish and also the taste. Perfect. Yeah. Color is probably the first thing yeah. that gives away. And, and, right. and in terms of taste, obviously the difference is, uh, you know, you are what you eat. Right. And the fish exactly. is no different. Yeah. And the, the environment. Cons- right. Is our, our salmon, though, they are orange to an extent, aren't they? Yeah. The Lake Ontario yeah, salmon? To, to an extent. Probably not yeah, yeah. orange. They, yeah. They're, they're orange. And, and again, when you cook, when you cook something, um, either or fish and the final product is, is when it comes out of the oven cooked at, you know, 375 degrees and you pull it out and whether whatever marinade or however you prepare it, it does look the same mm-hmm. when it's cooked when right. you open it up it's beautifully pink inside yeah. now eating it raw you will notice a difference in color uh one 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 thing that that i will mention um and i know it's it's it might be a little bit off topic but the 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 set the the, the row how many times people have come to me and asked me if they if i could prepare them um the row raw from a trout, from a salmon. And, you know, typically sturgeon is what, um, you know, is, is used for caviar. But I would I would be intrigued to know what the process is of eating raw roe from our Ontario salmon or mm. from our steelhead that comes from Ontario. Because, uh, believe it or not, there are more people out there that consume roe raw than actual sushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you one, boys. I ate a, a single sucker egg from the Detroit River. Yeah, beat that one, boys. Raw. No wonder. <laughs> so we know the answer to that. Is that bad for you? Check it out. <laughs> I did. I couldn't believe it. That is crazy, man. Um, how about uh, UV light machines for detecting some of this stuff? Do you guys use that in the business? Um, so typically we purchase our fish that comes from all seas. Um, again, the UV light is what they will use in their facility when they're preparing to IQF fish. Um, it's funny. I was listening to you earlier saying that one of your first jobs was at a fish and chips and it was mine as well. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was 15 years old cleaning halibut yeah. and, um, you telling the stories about finding the little worms in there and, yeah. and it happened to me too. I mean, I'm blocking off massive pieces of halibut at 15 years old and you see all these little worms around and it's yeah. it's it, it, it was weird needless to say seeing that but you know when you throw it in a fryer at 375 degrees i'm sure that all got taken <laughs> care of but again we had to pick everything out clean it make sure it was good but i yeah. think the uv light the uv light is now used more um again this was 15 years ago um, and now hal- uh, halibut is actually coming instead of getting it blocked off, like, like the days probably when you were in the, the fish and chip places, now you're getting full fillets delivered and halibut right now isn't an easy fish to get. I, I mean, I, I, I'm even having trouble getting it right now. And now it doesn't come in big blocks or, or big chunks. You're actually buying, um, Spanish halibut where it comes filleted already. It's gone through the, the UV light process, uh, IQF frozen and delivered to the shop. And how do you know you're getting Spanish halibut, by the way? 
So I trust my fish supplier very much. I've been using, I've been using them for over 15 years. Um, and again, it's it's one of those things, Ange, that we are at the mercy of um, you know what's happening around the world, and and especially what happened, you know, with COVID and stuff like that. Even meat, um, you know, prices have skyrocketed. There's shortage everywhere. It's been hard even with produce to get. Um, anything that you need. And it's starting to come back a little bit to a norm, but fish has always been a problem. And, you know, I can get salmon tomorrow fresh, um, you know, with a phone call, but if there's any particular fish that I need that, you know, one of the actors or actresses are asking for, I'm at the mercy of, sorry, Antonio, we don't have it. Or yeah, we have it. And, and, and the sea bass is one of the most popular things that people like to have, especially the actresses. Um, you know, Chilean sea bass is their one favorite thing. Now, it was funny when you were mentioning that you thought you were you were buying sea bass and you weren't sure that if it was if it was a, some sort of Catfish. and and absolutely. And the one thing that I can tell you is when I buy from my supplier, I know that I'm purchasing Chilean sea bass one because of the price and two because I can see um, what it is and what it's supposed to look like opposed to what a catfish looks like. But it is very similar. Um, and, and, and even the texture of the fish is very similar. So people can get away with scamming you and, and, and you're purchasing catfish. But, um, you know, it's not easy right now getting these certain uh, types of species of fish. Are you familiar with that story that uh, that we talked about where Oceana Canada did their 400 yep. uh, tests? Yeah, so you are. And being in the industry, you'd have to be, I guess. Does, yeah. does it concern Absolutely. you? Does it like do you worry about it at all? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It concerns me. And, and, and it concerns me because sometimes the customers will look at myself as the problem. Right. And right. You know, everybody puts their own trust in when you go to a restaurant and you sit down and you order sushi, you're putting your your total trust in that restaurant to make sure that they're practicing all these procedures. You know, and, and Gord even mentioned it. Um you know, how, how, how old is that fish that came into that restaurant before it was vac sealed oh. that restaurant? No, that sushi chef who's preparing that fish isn't really going to be able to tell you when that fish was processed. Mm-hmm. So we put our trust into, um, you know, people like myself that they are getting the top quality, what you're paying for. But at the end of the day, it's very hard for me to tell you, you know, here's a question I get all the time, engine and you tell me, or Pete, if you heard this before, can you tell if a fish is organic or not? Uh, no, from that. my standpoint, no. no absolutely not. It, it's, it's virtually impossible. So when I'm purchasing salmon that is being, um, you know, reviewed as an organic piece of salmon and you're paying double the price, how can I take that filet and tell my actress that I can guarantee you that this is organic? Mm-hmm. So again, I'm putting my trust into who I'm purchasing it from. And that actress is putting their trust into me that I'm giving them the proper product. So right. it's it, it, going back to, to what you were saying about the article, it makes me look bad. You know, yeah. it makes people like, you know, and, and that's why it drives me crazy because again, virtually you can't look at it. Even your supplier though, could be duped. Sure. You he know, could. He could have right from Cause you know, they don't know from the ocean either. Really. He can't tell. So no. Wow. Yep, absolutely. The so, problem, so there's a big trust thing going on. The problem <laughs> uh, from, from this whole thing is that there's no uh, 
accountability and there's no tracing. You can't trace a fish right. from the time it's caught to the time right. it, it's put on your and plate. some huge money being made at oh. this, too. Like, can you imagine oh. the, the profits they're making selling catfish as, as sea bass? Exactly. Oh, my God. Or, or tilapia. I, I had, yeah, I had one actor, one actor absolutely annihilate me in front of a whole crew one day because we were serving Orange Ruffy. And he was um, he was uh, a diver, um, you know, and he was into uh, marine biology and stuff like that. And, you know, I was really excited that I was able to get my hands on this orange ruffy, because if you've had it before, it's oh, the most it's beautiful. Fish. Yeah. It is fantastic. Ugly, now, it's a deep dive. Uh, ugly as sin, though. The, uh, if you <laughs> saw it before you <laughs> ate it, you would not eat it. <laughs> no, you would. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But um, again, my 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 lovely sales rep called me and says, Antonio, I got some really nice orange ruffy, very expensive. You know, it's, it's a, a, a deep, deep fish that, that swims in the deeps and cold water. And if you can get your hands on it, it's absolutely lovely. Well, I had this one actor absolutely annihilate me in front of the whole crew and forced me to take this fish off the line because, you know, it, it was a protected species back oh. in the day and about you should be serving this and that. And it's like, wow. You know, so it, it's it's all public perception and, and it's very hard to please everybody. And I and I would say people that really want to try, um, you know, preparing fish, white fish or fresh fish raw, do your research first, but practice doing it properly because you could only trust yourself. You yeah. know, if you're going to trust somebody else to prepare this for you, no. well, make sure you know that person or at least be there while they're 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 executing mm -hmm. the process because at least you know if you go out with Pete or Pete and Ange go out and they catch a beautiful 16-inch walleye and you guys clean it properly and freeze it and do the proper steps, then I can guarantee you that I think that you're going to enjoy it and it, it will be safe. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, I just uh, as I was reflecting on, on some of the stuff we just talked about, it dawned on me that Pete and I also enjoyed some of the best sushi in my certainly in my lifetime that I've ever had was a time when we uh, caught tuna oh. in costa rica yeah, coming dude. back home from our marlin trip there was no flash freezing on that one we there? literally we <laughs> literally caught them because it was on the way home we had just had an incredible day of uh, bill fishing and uh as we're getting close to shore we could see you know where we're headed to, uh, to shore the the captain said hey do you guys want to catch uh, supper and uh yeah i was it sure so he pulls over on this reef and and it was just loaded with these uh were they yellowfin tuna? I'm not sure what type of tuna they were. They, were, they no, weren't huge. They were relatively small tuna. Yeah, 30 pounder, 20, yeah. 30 pounders. Yep. Any, anyway, so he, and we said, you know, it's getting dark though. Are you worried? No, no, he says, we're just going to kind of. This won't take long. We, he <laughs> says, we're just going to drift <laughs> over it once. You guys will get a couple and we'll head in. So lo and behold, that's what we did. We put our lines in, boom, 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 boom. We had, I don't know, three, four, five of them in the boat within. The boat was still moving. And uh, and uh, we headed to, to uh, the dock. And he said, okay, he says, now go upstairs, uh, put your gear away and come right back. And we said, like, we don't, we don't, like, we want to shower, clean up, we're going to dinner. No, 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 no. Just put your gear away. Be back here in five minutes. We're ready to go. So he did that, came back, and he had this incredible layout of sushi and like it was, I've never seen anything like it. Oh, and it was the fish we just caught mad. prepared two or three different ways. Oh. And there was no freezing. There was no, no. nothing. No. And we consumed. I can imagine. And, and we have the same experience in the Keys. Yeah. And we did it. We did so. it with Mahi Mahi. Now, there are, there are, there are some um, tuna fish that, you know, like the skipjacks, um, they wouldn't say to eat it raw. 
um, but you know they're great for solids. And and in different parts of the world, I bet you they think we're crazy when yeah. it comes to, you know, the way we have to look after and take care of the fish before we consume it raw. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, they, they don't. And that's just it. The bottom line is every time you eat anything raw, whether it's meat or fish or anything, um, there is a certain element of risk there. You you are taking, you know, uh, you're throwing precautions to the wind uh, for the most part, but we've been doing it forever. We enjoy it. And for the most part, it's okay. And every once in a while, right. yeah, something could happen, yeah. but you have to go into it knowing that that's a possibility. Now, you know uh, what else is a possibility? I was listening to you guys here today because you used to work in a fish plant or not a plant, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. facility. Antonio did the same thing. Yeah. Gord telling us all his stories. I can almost <laughs> guarantee you that everybody that's eaten consistent fish diets has eaten a worm cooked oh. in one way or other. Hey, oh, no 100%. We, we, we have yeah. no idea we did that. You know what I mean? Or or yep. or consume water that's got bacteria. I mean, a lot of cases. A lot. Maybe we'll get a good catch and release system going after the show. Because now they listen. I'm not eating that shit anymore. I'll just throw them all back. God. Oh yeah. Anyways, it's it's one of those things. Uh, Antonio, tell folks where, where what are you working on right now? What are you what are you doing? Uh, so yeah, we just wrapped Mary Kingstown, which was uh, it's a film. Uh, TV series that was created by uh, Taylor Sheridan, who created Yellowstone. Um, oh. We wrapped that. It actually just premiered on the 14th, and uh, it's on the Paramount Net- Network. So that that was a really big portion of our summer, taking after Jeremy Renner and his crew. Um, it was crazy. Those guys are, are are cowboys, if you know who Taylor Sheridan is. And, uh, you know, they consumed a lot of meat. You know, my uh, <laughs> I smelled like a barbecue every night I went home. Um, <laughs> from Montana, those guys know how to eat. And uh, so now we're getting into uh, Netflix um, is coming. We start Genie in Georgia on uh, Monday, which is another Netflix series. So we're going to be pretty busy this year. I think an article came out yesterday saying that Toronto is estimated to do $2.2 billion in film next year, uh, which will be a record and they're building studios everywhere. So we'll, we'll be busy for a long time, but uh, it's, uh, it's not an easy job, but I love it. Uh, hey, good, good for you. Where can folks uh, reach out to you if they want to talk to you or send you an email or messages or check your, where, where, where can they sneak up on you? Yeah, they can, uh, they can sneak up on me on info at gourmet craft with a C gourmet craft and catering.com. You can uh, send me an email directly. And if you have any questions about uh, how to prepare or what I've prepared in the past, just reach out to me and I'll uh, I love to answer your question. You got any YouTube, any social, anything like that going yeah, well, we, we uh, it's funny, you know, we uh, it, it's been it's been slow um, in that aspect because we've been I've been so busy here um, with Netflix and Amazon. And, it's you know, with when COVID happened, the film industry just sort of once phase two opened, kind of crammed everything. So we were we got just hit so hard with so many television shows and stuff. I couldn't really focus on, um, you know, fishing and, and preparing fish and, and going back to do the show. Um, so I'm thinking this um, this spring we might get back into it, but I am going to Lake St. Clair tomorrow with my good buddy. We're going to go try to get another 50 inch musky. Yeah, and, uh, good man. yeah, we got I got I got a 51 two weeks ago, so uh, we want to get out there before it, it closes. So we're going to try to go out tomorrow and hopefully get another 50. All Beautiful. Right. Good luck, buddy. All right, my friend. Uh, you. you take care of yourself. Thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, boys. Have a good one. You too. So there you go. We've got two so far out of the three. Uh, one yay, one nay. 
or reverse, mm-hmm. one nay, one yay, but uh, both uh, saying that if you take the right precautions. Right. Uh, That's the key. Although not 100% safe, you if you take the right precautions, you could consume freshwater, freshwater raw. raw. Fish. Freshwater fish raw. That's from you those know, two. I've, I've tried. Here's my opinion. I've tried it raw. As Ange said, we tried it raw, and I much prefer a fried walleye than I do a raw walleye. Much. But I'm, I'm a big prefer. sushi lover. I love raw I, fish. I know. I love I, I, raw I do fish. too, but yeah. in, in compared apples to apples or whatever you want to call it, yeah. to me, that if you have it done properly, pan-fried, deep-fried, whatever, like the way you like the, your walleye the best, to me, I just say, why would I eat it raw when it tastes so damn good fried? Well, let's see if we can break the tie. We have one one so far, one from each side. Let's see if we can break that tie and make it uh, unanimous. So our next guest, when we were looking for him, I, I really didn't have any idea where we would find one. We were looking for like a, a food safety expert, somebody who makes a living from, you know, judging whether food is uh, consumable That's or not. a good source. That'd be a good idea, well, for sure. I, I thought, you know, not that, not that uh, the previous two guests weren't insightful and whatnot, but I wanted somebody, I don't know. So anyways, I called our good friend uh, Joe Anthony. At Joe! A- yeah. Hey, Angelo, how are you, there, mate? Are you making fun of Joe's no, accent? I love Joe. Uh, all right. Come on, you know uh, I love uh, Joe. In a salmon pink shirt. Oh, I love it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Joe Anthony from ANL Seafoods in Cape Breton. Uh, he's in in the crab business, a big processor of crabs on the east coast of Canada. And I asked Joe if he knew anybody that um, that would, you know, I told him what the subject was and anybody that would fit the bill. And immediately he pointed to uh, to our next guest. Uh, his name is Ken Cashin, and Ken is among other things a food safety um, expert, and he is with a, a company. Uh, currently with a company called Food Safety Consultants with Insight Marketing and PEI. He's a former owner of Innovative Quality Solutions. And he joins us now to give us a more professional or scientific look at our subject matter today of consuming raw, fresh fish. Uh, hey, Ken, how you doing, man? Doing great, fellas. Uh, just two two quick clarifications. Uh, first, uh, my company is actually Innovative Quality Solutions. That's my active company. I've been in business for over 20 years, but oh. uh, far more important than that, uh, uh, you only can speak uh, about Joe Anthony with reverence, uh, the best <laughs> the best snow crab sections on the planet. Wow. Nice. Well, I'm sure he'll appreciate that, that for sure. Joe says that all the time. I yeah. never believed him. Now I believe him. And Ken just got a bonus <laughs> check for that one too. Trust me. Uh, great guy. Um, okay. So the question today is simply this. Should we even entertain the thoughts of consuming A, freshwater fish, raw, or B, fish raw, period, such as sushi? What's, what's your take on that? Well, like I'm, my background is I, I work with mostly federally licensed plants that are going to be exporting or interprovincial trade of food. So I, I work on all food safety issues. We we generally categorize them as, as biological, chemical, uh, physical. When you when you look at this particular hazard, yeah, if you're going to eat any kind of an animal raw, you're taking on a certain amount of risk. So, for example, I love oysters. I <laughs> eat oysters all the time. But there are issues with eating oysters. They're alive. They filter whatever is in the water. And if you have 
uh, a bacteria such as Vibrio parahematiculus in the water, and you eat the oyster raw, you may get food poisoning. So if okay. you're going to eat fish raw, the fish doesn't filter the water, but there are different types of hazards, and uh, one of them is parasites. Am I am I understanding from what you're saying, and, and I agree with it, by the way, if this is what you're saying, is that anytime we consume anything raw, regardless of what it is, there is a certain element of, of, of danger, but we do it anyways, and we do it in large quantities and numbers. I mean, sushi is probably as... I think in today's uh, restaurant business, it's probably as important as just about any other type of, uh, of uh, cuisine. So, and, and I know I've heard before from uh, reading sushi menus at the very bottom in tiny print, it does have a disclaimer on it in most cases that, that you know, consuming raw fish is not uh, something that is uh, recommended or suggested. All that aside, all that aside, is there a difference between raw Freshwater versus raw saltwater. It really, there in terms of risk, there's not. There's a there's a difference in terms of the type of parasites. For example, I worked in the groundfish business in in Newfoundland, and and we produced uh, an awful lot of cod fillets, haddock fillets. So with cod, we always had a concern with the cod worm. Now the the uh, you know the, the scientific name for that is Pseudoterranova discipiens, and you can get uh, codfish from off of Labrador where you can't find a worm, but you go down to off Sydney Bight where Mr. Anthony has these plants, and we would get fish fillets from there that might have 50, 60, 70 worms in one fillet. Oh my God. And so oh we actually had a process on the line that we call candling, which was a piece of equipment with a light that you would actually take the fillet and uh, you would actually put it on the light. And if there's a worm or many worms, they'll show up and we pick them out with tweezers. That was actually part of the process. Now, that sounds yucky, but the bottom line is there's a lot of things about our food and food processing that is not that pleasant. So. With uh, cod or haddock, what I eat, uh, cod or haddock, every day of the week. And my understanding originally with the cod worm was that the cod worm would not grow in the, uh, the stomach, the intestines of a human being. But I've heard research since that uh, the potential is there. But what you have, and, and another one with herring uh, is called Anasacus simplex. That one is a smaller worm, and that one will grow in the stomach of a human. So, very unpleasant. Uh, my wife, uh, one day here, was uh, doing pan-fried uh, um, codfish, and I brought home the freshest fish right from the wharf. And uh, I filleted them right there in the, in the kitchen, and... Uh, while she's getting ready to throw it in, she looks over and there's four or five wounds. It, on sounds, the like, it, it sounds it sounds terrible. It's like a horror movie almost. <laughs> These things are coming out to attack you. You know what? End, end of story because there's nobody eating that fish that night in our house. But let's go back a step. I was at a restaurant two years ago, a really fine restaurant, where a lady uh, that I was having dinner with, a business meeting, she's having this beautiful salad. And she picks up a piece of lettuce with a great oh, big slug on the lettuce. Oh, my God. <laughs> so 
So let, like, don't like let's let's share all of the bad stories. We eat, we consume food. Uh, just I, I last night, Phil, I took a look at the uh, the uh, CFIA Canadian Food Inspection Agency uh, website from a while back. Actually, a public health in this case, Health Canada, and they had a recall um, uh, in Canada of uh, of uh, of salads because of a parasite called Cyclospora. Now, can you think of anything more healthy to eat on this yeah, planet exactly. than a salad? But so, so the thing is, my business, what I do is I work with plants. And if you know, uh, you had referred to uh, Joe Anthony in A and L. Joe is one of the high-end plants. He's a BRC certified plant, and uh, you know, he uh, the, the safest food you're ever going to eat is coming out of his plant because he has to test these product. He has to do. And un- the, the level of hygiene, there's no restaurant anywhere within 10% of the level of hygiene that he uses. And, and it's because he exports. And so regardless of the food hazard, there's control. So when you say, you know, worms and fish, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's yucky. It's, but the bottom line is you can control it. So when someone says, can I eat sushi? Sure, you can eat sushi. Easy. All it is is that before the sushi is prepared, and by the way, sushi is just one type. I mean, there's there's several types. There's sashimi. We we take uh, bluefin tuna, ship it to Japan. They cut slivers of of the flesh off. Uh, but there's there's even gravlax, which is an old Nordish dish uh, where where they marinate the product. Parasites can be passed on from several different types of food preparation, not just sushi. But all you got to do is freeze the product, and 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 the the, the Bible on this is there is really the Center for Disease Control in the states, but we also have CFIA and Health Canada, and the 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 whole food safety standards on this is a moving target. It constantly changes because bacteria change, our knowledge changes. We there's an incredible amount of. Um, uh, parasitic issues with food right across the planet, and it's uh, it uh, the Asian countries have more problems than we do because they eat a lot of raw products. But the, the there are controls for this, and and so when you go to the Center for Disease Control or you go to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, we have some time honored controls for. Uh, for controlling uh, parasites. And, and so if you look at a freshwater fish, all you have to do is there's two standards. One is freeze it at minus 20 degrees C and hold it for a week. So when I do what's called a food safety plan, we call it a HACCP plan. When I do a food safety plan and, and parasites are an issue, uh, any sort of, of, of uh, nematode or roundworm, um, any, any sort of parasite of that nature, our controls are very simple. You have, to, you have to freeze it in a commercial freezer and hold it for seven days. The parasite won't last beyond that. Now, when you mention the term yes. flash freezing, there's, the terms are used loosely. And so if you were to go to Mr. Anthony's plant, you would see three types of refrigeration. The first is your basic fridge, four yeah. degrees C. And so when you go to Loblaws and they're storing stuff in a large uh, cooler, that's, that's essentially a fridge. The second then 
is a device to freeze. So Mr. Anthony uses uh, uh, what's called a brine freezer. And this is a higher level of freezing. He actually takes his snow crab and puts it into a brine solution. And that solution uh, has a high salt uh, content, which lowers the freezing temperature. So he has refrigeration systems set up where that liquid is down around a minus 18 degrees C and the crab freezes in it. That's just one method. The most common is a blast freezer. A blast freezer is essentially um, um, a, a, a location where you have your temperature down to minus 40 degrees C with a high volume of air. And that's the most common method to freeze food products. But there's, there's also uh, people use tunnel freezers with blasts. There's also cryogenic freezing, which is really not a commercial. But the bottom line is there's two standards. The first standard is this. Take the fish down to a minus 20, hold it for seven days. That's going to kill those parasites. Also, a second one, which may be referred to as a flash freezing, is take it down instead of the minus 20, take it to minus 35, which is very cold, and then hold it for only 15 hours. But the bottom line is, if anyone is concerned with parasites or worms in any kind of product, those two standards will, will kill them. You have nothing to worry about. So then you get into, okay, well, could I eat that product? Well, you're damn right. You eat that kind of product sure. every day. So, so, <laughs> I mean, so what you're saying, you what you're saying is we're, we're consuming this, this stuff on a daily basis. We don't even know it because it's been frozen and it's dead. Yeah. Exactly. We consume it and it's, it's perfectly fine. Exactly. It's pro, <laughs> it's a, you know, we should be paying extra for it. So, so, Exactly. No, the bottom line is when we when we look at purity of foods, uh, the business I'm in, we have all kinds of standards uh, that allow for defects in products. So, for example, I came across one actually for sushi, where you can pre-measure the amount of worms in the fish and and still keep it fresh. But you know, you got some issues with that. But a, a simple example is is uh, 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 canned corn. Like I, I love. Uh, canned corn, not the the, the kernels, oh, but the actual yeah. cream, cream style. With corn. my walleye fillet. Well, yeah. listen, I'm going to tell you. You you if you walk into a corn processing plant, you're going to find slugs everywhere. Oh, oh. you are slugs! What the hell is going on here with these slugs? <laughs> are you are you that naive to think that you're not going to get some of those clug, uh, slugs in the process? They're harmless. They've been cooked. Hey, maybe and those so, slugs, if you eat those slugs alive, maybe they eat the worms. If you could say, maybe they got to <laughs> control the guts. So, There's got to so be a way. You have to be a little bit, you have to, uh, we're, we're, we have this naive sort of thought process that all of our food is perfectly safe. Give your head a shake. Like uh, when we look at um, salads now, salads were very concerned uh, with listeria. Because because listeria is in the manure, and in a lot of cases, our research and our knowledge has advanced so far along. But you know, food our 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 food is very very safe, but there are always hazards there. And the perfect example is oysters. I, I'm a food safety specialist, and I eat oysters all the time. Love them, but there's a risk in eating oysters, and there's a risk in eating anything. 
That's why I think pasteurized beer is probably the best way to go. That's it, buddy. Right there. If we all and that's best spoken by a true East Coaster right there, I'll guarantee you. Uh, I can. So just to, not to belabor the point on, on oysters, is there nothing they can do with oysters to, to get? Cook them. Just cook them. Oh, cook them. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, well, yes. you know, it, you know, but it's, it's interesting that comment because, uh, you know, we, we have uh, Prince Edward Island is known for incredible oysters and we have a, we have a big oyster industry here. I work with a lot of oyster producers and, you know, when I sit down and I have to do a food safety plan for oysters, it gets a little bit, uh, you know, there's a kind of a shock effect because first of all, we have chemicals. So the first, you look at things like marine biotoxins. Um, we have to be concerned with paralytic shellfish poisoning and domoic acid. But the good side of that is that the Canadian Food Inspection Agency tests these products every week to make sure it's not there. So that takes care of that. And then on the other side, we, you know, we, we, we have natural uh, pathogenic bacteria that are in the water, like potentially Vibrio, and uh, they're they're naturally in the water. So we test we test the product for Vibrio, and then the big thing is the purity or the the cleanliness of the water. So for example, you can have a water that's pristine, but if you have a thousand geese land in that water, is not so pristine after twenty minutes. No kidding. So, yeah. So so yeah, but you have to be. You have to be realistic and you, you, you weigh the risks. So our oysters are, are uh, quite safe, but, you know, they are one of, like, for example, ground beef. If we take ground beef, mm -hmm. uh, we take hamburgers. People wonder why hamburgers are more maybe risky than steak. Well, the reason is, is uh, we have a bacteria called E. coli 0157 that's associated with uh, the, the feces of cows or the, the intestinal tract of cows. And, uh, when they're butchered, that potentially could get into the product. Then when you grind it, you put it in the center of the product. Then if you have a hamburger that's not fully cooked, well, then you could get E. coli poisoning. And nice. you know, we had several outbreaks in the, in the United States with uh, E. coli poisoning. So, you know, all, all, foods have certain, all foods have certain risks, and uh, that's why like, uh, we, we have a lot of... Uh, food safety plans that take care of them. But I, I, I do always go back to the pasteurized beer. Yes, sir. And so to so speak. You should, so, should, so you should. We're going we're gonna to start a new one somewhere. We're going to get this going. It's going to be a good trend coming up for sure. Uh, okay. So, so let me see if I can dumb it down for me. I have a question, too, right after you. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. By all means. Uh, okay. The, go back, Ken, to that flash freezing. So at, let's say we're doing minus 20 and we only go four days. What's the chances of not killing them, or how does that work? You know, you said seven days or whatever you had a, as a number. Uh, yeah. Let's say it's three, four, five days. What happens? Well, I, I guess that's the same thing as getting in your car, and it's going to take you 10 gallons to get from, from, from Barry to Mississauga, and you put four gallons in. You're not going to get there. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, I like that. There's, I like that. There's your, that's, Thank you. So let me ask you a question. You're in the industry. If anybody uh, should be timid about consuming raw things, it probably should be you. If you and I went out fishing and we caught a beautiful little, small little walleye, about a pound and a half, two pounds, and I filleted it right there for you, and I said, Ken, we're going to sushi this baby up and have it right now. And we're in northern, I don't care where, northern wherever, out in God's country. Would you consume it? 
Well, I, I'll tell you what, uh, and, and, and I'm going to go back. We didn't mention cooking here. Because, no, no. Rob, I, 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 yeah, I say to anybody, like, all you got to do is take this product to a temperature of 60 degrees C, internal temperature, all parasites are killed. But aside from that, if I'm on board of a boat, uh, what I, I eat, well, the first thing is I have never tasted, including cold smoked salmon, I've never tasted anything raw that I like except for a live oyster. Oh. I have never tasted any kind of sushi that I like. That's a personal thing. But okay. would I take, if I really like uh, pristine uh, codfish, would I take it and eat it? Certainly I would. Because first thing is, you're going to find 99.5% of your worms and parasites are going to be in the belly flap. Because the intestine enters the stomach. And that's where it's going to be lodged, is in the belly lining. If you have a tremendous amount of, uh, of worms, or if you have a much older fish, it could migrate a bit into the flesh. All I would do is cut off the belly flap, section up the choice loin of the fillet, and if there's any worms there, you're going to see them. Hmm. That's a good point. And, and so, if, it, and if we don't see it, if there's nothing there, then then should then be safe. Should be safe. Exactly. No, no. Exactly. Exactly. But okay. you know what? On when I look at hazards, guys, and I look at you know, like I work mostly in the seafood business. We we really worry keeps us awake at night. The type of things that are very very difficult to control. Like so, for example, listeria is an is a very tough bacteria because it uh, it 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 can result in fatalities and does and it's one of those bacteria that is naturally on the product and we fight every day to make sure that we do not get listeria contamination and that's very difficult when we look at parasites uh, on a scale of 10 i got that at one or two because it's controllable so if i was running a a business producing sushi uh, what i would be doing is I would just turn around and say, I'm not willing to take on the risk of being sued relative to parasites. Therefore, um, my specification will be nothing goes into any of my sushi products that has not been frozen and stored for seven days. End of story. I can sleep at night. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And that's, and I believe that's for the most part, that's what's happening uh, in it's, sushi bars uh, yeah, and sushi obviously. restaurants. Obviously it, it, I don't think many people would. Cause in Japan it, they eat raw, like right out of the ocean. Oh, I know. Raw sushi. Well, you they, and I, frat, you and I did well. it. You yeah. and I did it. Yeah. You yeah. and I have had tuna right. Well, I, I, I would, uh, I would add on to that. I do a seminar on food safety and one of the, uh, one of the things that I present just before lunch that ruins many of a lunch is some of the case studies out of the Asian countries on 30 foot uh, parasites taken out of people's stomachs. Uh, so they, the, they, they consume an awful lot of sushi, but they do very, very fresh and there's risk associated with that. So that's why I'm saying from a food safety perspective, uh, you know, if you're going to eliminate the hazard, why not? So that so there is a great point. Now, is uh, let's say Japan have they got more cases of not poisoning, poisoning I guess, yeah. or whatever, yeah. due to raw fish than any other country, or are they very high, et cetera? Like compare it to Canada. Not with even, not even uh, is not even close. The Asian countries have by far the greatest number of, but also wow. countries that have. Sushi is the big thing, obviously, and, but we also have a lot of uh, traditional 
type uh, uh, meals that that uh, it would enhance the chance of of having uh, a parasite infection. And so certain countries have like marinated dishes where the product is raw. Cold smoked fish is very so we're changing our diets in North America. Cold smoked uh, fish can result in a parasitic infection. And we have a lot more. I have a, 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 a young fellow that eats sushi like I eat chocolate bars. <laughs> so we're changing our diets here. So we're getting a lot more. But by far, the Asian culture, uh, uh, the Asian countries wow. uh, in terms of parasitic. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. How about, um, I, I, certainly on the west coast of this country, one of the real delicacies, they, they call it um, salmon candy or some, some kind, where they take the, right. the uh, salmon and they basically hang it out to dry on, on, on limbs on windswept points. And it's just true. It's true. See this happening? And, no, I'm picturing it. And and uh, that's it. Will it be the same as the Inuit people like that idea yeah. where they hang the yeah. fillets? Or yeah. The so the, no, no, nothing. No freezing. No cooking. No nothing. They just hang it out to dry. Some of those, uh, I actually took part in a project in the early '80s or late '70s in Newfoundland, and it was called stockfish. And it was uh, it, it's a uh, an Icelandic type recipe where they dry. But the difference is they they do it in temperatures of one to two degrees C. Uh, And what they do is they dry out the product and it's almost like a cured product that that dries out over time. But, you know, my background is food science. So, you know, that when you start describing what you just described to me, it sounds like driving drunk on a motorcycle (laughs) naked. Yes, you know, sir, Eva. Not that you've ever done. I, I, I call that food poisoning Russian roulette. Like. <laughs> but you know, you've heard about that. Awesome. It, 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 uh, the indigenous communities on the Fraser River. Um, that's that's their that's their norm, right? Yeah. right? That's the way they prepare a uh, sockeye. Did they not brine it of any type? No. Did they not salt it no. or anything? No, no we, well, we've I've seen them. I don't know whether you've been with me. You go around a point on the Fraser River, and all of a sudden there's a tree that's red, and you say, "What the hell is that?" And wow. they've got yeah. this this stuff just but it's got to be just they pick just a certain points that that have got prevailing winds because they want to oh keep God. the flies and all yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah. off it but they need but the, a- yeah, the, the, the problem that you get into that when like when we talk food it, like it's 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 actually simpler than we we make it complicated we preserve food certain ways we can salt it we can smoke it we can freeze it we can marinate it or drop the ph have an acid there we can actually what we call sterilize or retort it. We can pasteurize it. So there's certain things we can do. We can use sugar uh, as a preservative. But I always point to any food, no matter what it is. If I'm looking at a salmon pate, which is a kind of a risky food. If I'm looking at a salmon pate, I say, what is preserving that? If I'm, if I'm looking at uh, even uh, bacon, bacon is so full of sodium nitrate, a bacteria won't go near it. <laughs> I mean, it's a and so, so there's something that preserves that product. And so if I look at a salmon pate, and it's a combination of uh, the salt content and the pH and the temperature keeps a, ba- a pathogen from growing, well, you know, that, that works, but it's got to be really tightly controlled. When you talk about hanging a fish, and letting it desiccate, which is to desiccate 
is one of the oldest methods of preservation. Remove the moisture. Right. So I, I grew up in Newfoundland. Salt fish was a big thing. So you people would dry salt fish in their backyards all the time. And they would also have gull shit over it. Oh, God. <laughs> so, oh, God. So, so we, this, is, this is 2021. If you guys were to walk into Joe Anthony's plant, and if you get a chance, do it. You see a level of sanitation that will blow your mind. Like you, you can't even walk in the plant without changing your outer clothing. You, you have to put on a pair of boots that they give you, hairnets. You got to wash and sanitize your hands. It's incredible because it's a commercial food production that can be sued. Right. And so when you get into a lot of these, these recipes, I always go to the core, which is, What's keeping me from getting sick? And the moment that someone says to me, I'm going to preserve food by, by hanging it outside. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, urban myths. There's a lot of uh, mystic stuff with that. But, I mean, what's pre preventing that from being cross-contaminated from a rat or a bird? Mm -hmm. You know, it just dawned on me while you're talking like that. You know, you're talking to somebody who grew up on raw meat. As an Italian, we we consume great amounts of of raw meat. Uh, charcuterie is that's the fancy term for them nowadays, right? But and I and I and I remember watching uh, the adults in my life when I was just a little kid preparing this stuff, and. I'm here to talk about it today. We didn't, I did I don't ever recall anybody ever, you know, getting mm. sick or, or like, you know what I mean? And yet we, well, I'll tell you, it's an act is an absolutely fascinating discussion because, because when, you know, when we talk raw meat, uh, again, you, you got to get down to, okay, what exactly is the hazard that we're talking about? So, um, when we, when we look at, uh, um, say, um, a, a codfish, for example, the the there there are really no, no natural hazards associated with a fresh codfish, with the exception of a parasite. And and so, if you were to eat that real fresh, uh, you know, the, 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 there's no real pathogens there. We look at it as being relatively benign. If I look at codfish that's cooked, it's benign. There's no real hazards. But when we go to meat. Then what you're into is you're into uh, a live animal that has a lot of different issues that you have to be concerned with, uh, whether it, it be from from mad cow disease or the the, the 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 damaged prions that can cause issues, down to different types of pathogens of real concern, whether it be Salmonella or E. coli zero one five seven. So. So it is fascinating that if you can't go back and, you know, look that someone in our family, like one of the real concerns with E. coli 5.7 is, is if you get a serious infection, one of the first things you're going to lose is your, is your kidneys. Wow. And so you, you might be like, you know, one of the few radio broadcasters in Canada who has a built-in uh, resistance to E. coli. I don't know. Hey, <laughs> there you go. Buddy. No, but it's true though. I'm, I, I'm just. He's it's, very much full of shit. So I it, don't know. He's funny. It's, it's an observation. No, it, is, it, it is a fascinating. Is a fascinating discussion. It really is. It, it, you know, we'd get meat 
yeah. I don't know where they'd get the meat, but they'd get meat yeah, somewhere yeah. and then bring it home and two or three neighbors would come over and the aunts and uncles and wow. and then everybody would start handling this meat and they'd grind it all up into tiny little things and then they'd stuff it into... So like, you've also got the bacteria from other hands getting in. Uh, it was a mess. Meat, you got to add to it. Uh, by today's that. standards, it was a nightmare. Yeah, you get thrown in jail for that shit. <laughs> exactly. But, but you know, I would, I, I would add to that, though, that it, you know, even if it is raw meat, that has been washed very well. And see, some of our some of our ancestors, you know, had uh, didn't understand the science, but had ways to deal with stuff. If this might have been something that was uh, washed very well and soaked in a brine, and uh, and that that would take care of any pathogens on the meat, because as like I say with the fish, the fish flesh itself is essentially sterile. So uh, you know it. it there may have been some treatments there that we're, you know, we're, we're not really aware of. And, well, and I'll tell you something, going back to the, the fish worms, when you look at uh, the fish parasites, um, you know, one of the things that's fascinating is that they will survive in a strong brine, a strong salt solution up to uh, 80% saturation. They can survive up to 28 days. Wow. So that's wow. why some of, some of the European recipes with raw products, raw seafoods, actually pass on parasites because the they think because it's preserved there's no issue but the 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 parasite can survive and that's you know we we have trouble kind of contemplating that how can a parasite survive one day of freezing well it's the same as bacteria a lot of bacteria survive freezing human beings don't Well, I think what you've done here today, certainly with me, I don't know about Peter, I can't speak on his behalf, although I do most of the time. But anyways, uh, for me, I think you've talked me out of it. I think you've talked me off the ledge. I I would have, uh, an hour ago, I would have said, yeah, you know what, what's the big deal? Let's just eat it. And you caught it, it's fresh, you know exactly where it came from. Uh, you, you, you just filleted it right here. I saw you fillet it. You cut all the bad stuff it, out of it. You yeah. looked at it, there's nothing. Yeah. There. Let's just... Just consume that baby raw. However, I might uh, agree now with my uh, co-host here. We yeah, might I have to. Earlier. I'm frying every other piece of walleye from here on in. Yeah. From then on in, when I ate it. So yeah. I, and now yeah. this, yeah, you're right. It reaffirms it kind of. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you fellas, like the, 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 with food safety, a lot of our problems is misinformation. If you're really aware of the science behind food safety, you can you can do things a little smart, smarter. Like this, this is a challenge, but it's nowhere near the challenge of my maple leaves. Oh, here, here, brother, here, here, brother, you and me. I, I mean, I I go I go back to 1967. Me too. I was die. I was hoping to, to die after we won a Stanley Cup. <laughs> And we we are further now to a Stanley Cup than our local teams here in Prince Edward Island. Oh boy! <laughs> I knew I loved you for some reason, man. Die Hard, I love it. Um, listen, Ken, uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on the program today and uh, shedding some light on this subject Absolutely. that has been sort of whirling around the winds here uh, for anglers as to whether they can consume it raw or not. And uh, we've had three very good experts all give us their take. Now it's up to the consumer to make a decision on what they want to do and how they want to prepare it. And uh, your insight was absolutely tremendous. Uh, appreciate you joining us today, Ken. Uh, my pleasure, fellas, and if ever you got a question about food...
JP, you got my number. Uh, Thanks, where can man. folks look you up? Is there some place they can uh, check you out? And... Uh, yeah, I, I, I do food safety work uh, here uh, in, in the Maritimes, and basically uh, I don't even have a business card. It's all word of mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it should be. The right company's there. called Innovative Quality Solutions. Uh, his name is Ken Cashin. Look him up. Uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous individual. Thank you, my friend. And make sure uh, Joe sends you a case of crab after this, huh? Oh, listen, this, I, I just think this, he just went up in the stock market. <laughs> Make sure Joe sends us a case of crap. For That's this, true. Okay? Well, I, I, I'm going to tell you something, fellas. I'm going to tell you something. Like I'm, I'm a seafood expert. Um, I, there's, there's no place that I work that a condition of my doing the work is a box of crab. And I'm going to tell you something. I have never tasted, I'm a lobster nut. You've never tasted seafood till you taste ANLC foods, uh, frozen crab sections, nothing like we, that. We know, Perfect. buddy. We, we've sampled it. Trust me. Ken, thank you, yeah. my friend. You take care of yourself. Have a good one, guys. You, you too. Uh, Ken Cashin. Uh, that's, uh, that's food safety stuff. expert. It's nice to great. talk to somebody that. Oh my God, that knows. One of the one of the things that you, I think you and when you first contacted Ken, uh, the handling of bacteria is much more of a concern with sushi. It cha- the changes hands nineteen times before it reaches your plate. Well, think that was that one. That was one of the things that you know we uh, when uh, Dean and I first talked about the subject. You know, it just seems so natural to be able to just catch a fish out of the water sushi it up and consume it compared to no matter i don't care how much freezing takes place when so many people have to handle that fish from the time yeah if you, you know it yourself versus that yeah you're right all of a sudden it just came out of the water mm-hmm. well like that that what we talked we about earlier on the rica. sushi of the tuna yeah. in costa rica but we just caught it, it. We, they caught True. it they took it off the boat somebody else cut True. it up and True. who knows the girl served yeah. it made yeah. it moved it around a little yeah. bit right so. whereas in our case what we did up at pilot lake many years ago we literally caught the walleye Put it on the on the bench seat in the boat and loom in the boat. Yeah. Got the fillet knife out and and we sliced her up. Hey, I bet you we broke the lock because we probably threw the carcass over in the water. I bet you. Wow, we know we've done that a few times. <laughs> Anyways, uh, interesting subject. Hopefully, we've answered uh, most of your questions. If not, uh, let us know and we'll uh, see if we can. What do you think? Maybe you know this, but uh, I got this brought. Dean brought this up to me this this morning. Uh, in a nutshell, what do you think is the most expensive? tuna for sushi ever bought purchased. what what the price was yeah um i know this answer it was grotesque i don't know if you know the answer but maybe oh. you do well, well, okay you do. then i won't even try it. It. give me a number but you it think you heard grotesque. i i believe i heard that there was a tuna a whole tuna mm-hmm. sold a bluefin tuna sold for three quarters of a million dollars okay so that's what I heard. That's what I had heard too. Until okay. Dean brought this up to me, and, and it's a, in a nutshell: in Japan, in the New Year's, there's a, there's this whole new trend now. Who can catch and buy and sell the first tuna of the year? Like the first baby born in Toronto, exactly. for example, becomes a big deal. This they're, is the tuna. They say, okay, and they're okay. they're vying for this. These the, these restaurants are vying for this. Okay, this tuna in 2019 it weighed. 278 kilograms, which is 613 pounds in a bit. Good size. Caught off of Oma, Japan. In Canadian dollars, since we're Canada here, (laughs) $3,792,105 Canadian dollars for a tuna fish. Oh, my God. And they could have sold it at that price. They could have sold it between... $2.50 
two and three hundred dollars U.S. per piece if they per, wanted per to. Little piece. He sold it for three to four dollars a piece. He just <gasps> wanted the, he wanted the status. Oh, he just bought that God. for status. Imagine that. Holy smokes! That's, <laughs> that's three that's million bucks. That's too crazy. God. Anyways, that's it. That's uh, that's the sushi industry, man. It's a totally insane. It and, is. Uh, and the price and is going up here, by the way, too. Like ridiculous. Even and uh, you go to your sushi restaurants yeah. right now, you're going to notice. Wait a second. Now that may be COVID. I'm not sure what it's I'm, doing that, but it's going yeah. up here too. So. So there you go. Make an informed decision. Uh, hopefully, some of the information will help you do that. If not, there's all kinds of it on the internet. Some of it believable. Some of it not so much. But mm-hmm. uh, we feel like we've sort of portrayed it. Uh, we gave it a sort of a neutral. Look, uh, although I got to be honest with you, after speaking to Ken, um, I may not. I'm I'm glad we flash freeze our sushi if that's the way it happens here. Yeah. I'm glad we do that yeah. now because it still tastes good to me. I don't know what it would be. Well, I do. You and I tried it, but I'd rather have it flash frozen and and be sure in my mind that because because I I'm like you, Ansh. I love sushi. It's just like the yeah. the tuna and the salmon are my two favorites, and it's just like woo. But but I'll take that uh, the flash freezing. Just you know, lose maybe I'll lose a a tenth of the flavor. I don't know. How about how about oysters? Oysters, I will not eat again now because you know what? I'm okay with I, I'm okay with them. Like you and I beat them in New Orleans and, and all that stuff. But Love but you know what? After hearing that now, now I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from oysters. I got I got better things I can eat or you fry them up for me or something like that. Just you know. Yeah. But I'm gonna yeah. From now on, after that conversation with Kenny, there she's needed no more. No more sliding those things down. <laughs> be interesting to see what happens the next time I'm presented with the opportunity. Yeah, well, you'll do it. I know you. You I know you. You're gonna do it. I guarantee you. All right, we gotta run. Listen, on behalf of the entire team first of all special thanks to our guest today uh gord peiser from outdoor canada magazine uh you want to check him out go to outdoorcanada.ca or just i don't know look up gord peiser google him he's anywhere, everywhere anywhere. you can't miss him um our uh chef in-house chef antonio malaka he is executive chef to the stars and he uh he gave us some insight on uh, his opinions on that and of course the uh, last guest uh, ken cashin uh food safety expert so that's it. On behalf of the entire team, Jordan Popovich, Dean uh, Taylor, uh, and, of course, my co-pilot, as he always is, uh, Mr. Peter Bowman. I'm Angelo Viola. Talk to you next time, folks.